Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. And we have the Jay, the Shanna, and the Stacks cast. Yeah, the good, the bad, and the ugly, completing the Man With No Name trilogy. I mean, it's it's the last with, quote-unquote, the Man With No Name. As we've discussed, not really a great name for this series. Uh, we've talked about this in the other two. I'm not convinced it's the same character. It's, I mean, he's a similar icon. Uh, he, yeah. he uses similar outfits. Uh, but again, he has a name in this. <laughs> oh, yes, he does. <laughs> and, and there are allusions to him having many names. So, mm. uh, and, and I think that's true of all of these guys. I think that's what's interesting is that each of them has you know, a given name that we mainly refer to them as, but they're all men with many names and many identities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of, for two of the three of them, we don't find out their real name. Theoretically, yeah. I, I, well. I don't know if we hear, like, I feel like we hear some reference to Angel Eyes, perhaps. I think we maybe get his name, but we get Tuco's full name and it is, oh. it's incredible. <laughs> I love that name. Uh, so, 1966, directed by Sergio Leone. There is actually a fourth in this series, sort of. Like, there's a fourth really? Sergio Leone Western that's basically the same same deal, and it's got a bunch of cool dudes. Like, it's got James Coburn in it, but it doesn't have Eastwood, so it's not Man With No Name. But So that one's Fistful of Dynamite, a.k.a. Duck You Sucker. Pretty cool. <laughs> Pretty rad. And then there's also Once Upon a Time in the West, which is maybe my favorite of all of them, although this one is pretty fucking great. Oh, this one is a huge, massive... It's it's not just a Western, but it's like... A, it's a Civil War movie, too. Right, and it's fascinating the way the Civil War exists in this. It's, it's around the edges for most of it, but it keeps closing in on our guys. And they all have a specific relationship to it that is distinct mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting that it's a civil war movie uh not directed by an american right uh and uh, it, it is commenting on america as i feel all of these have uh this is just the one where it really brings it to the fore with our three icons who each have different properties uh like the as beings as uh characters in this film they they have uh, different powers. They have different uh, ways that they relate to the war and to authority. So uh, first thing I want to mention, obviously, the incredible Morricone score, because it's the first thing you hear. The first thing, like, you get that before you even see anything. And, and it's iconic. Like It's it incredible. The Western song. Yeah. I, uh, I knew this. I knew the theme well before I saw the movie. Oh, I mean, I saw the movie first time was, what, maybe five years ago? Right. And I, I knew the theme since I was a kid. Right. I knew the theme as a kid. I saw the movie in my teens, I guess, the first time. But uh, it, it's so iconic. And it just, you know, it, it is, if if there's a showdown, this is the thing that people copy. <laughs> yep. I mean, at, at this point, you almost can't have a showdown if, without riffing on this track. Well, and like the climax of the movie or the, the huge showdown at the end, it's mostly the score. Like the score is driving almost all of it. 
It's just the score, because if you take away the score, it's just three people standing there looking at each other for five minutes. It it would feel pretty silly without the really epic score. Uh, the score but, does a lot of work there, but it works perfectly. Oh, it's so good, though. Yeah. I I love the opening titles of this. They they look like old daguerreotype style photos of all the leads and like trains and cannons and shit. And uh, they just clear sand off the lens. Oh, is that what they're doing? I think so. That seems to because like they're they're moving the sand off the lens, and you see the titles appear and the daguerreotypes appear under them, and then. Like when the when the title comes up, there's three cannon shots at the screen that make the title appear, which is super cool. <laughs> and of course, the the whips and the cannons are all part of the song. Yeah, yeah, uh, which has been uh, the case with all of these Morricone scores for this. Oh, that's uh, right. They all have a lot of uh, Western bric-a-brac in them. I like. I, I have the Fistful of Dollars score, and I've been listening to that just. You know, leisurely. It's it's something I listen to, and yeah, it's fascinating. It's it's a very uh, experimental score. There's a lot of just pieces. There, there's a lot of sound effects, mm-hmm. and it's modern stuff like electric guitar. It doesn't have necessarily what you would think of as uh, Western instrumentation, but it's become iconic Western instrumentation. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so our first actual opening shot, the the first the full expanse, we just have this huge barren desert vista for like just a second. There's faraway mountains. It's so huge and distant. And then like just this huge face rotates <laughs> into the screen. It's like, I think he's getting up on a horse. So he like rotates from one of the sides, like up in. It's incredible. <laughs> it's, it's hard to describe. Yeah. But yeah like, <laughs> it's it's like his face is on a wheel and yeah, yeah. it's like the top of it's coming onto the screen. Like he, he just uh, comes up from uh, I think the left side in the corner and just like <laughs> comes up into the center. And it's just his face completely dominating this huge Vista screen, which you know, as a way of uh, sort of introducing this, where you have the sudden violence of the West and the, uh, the the way humanity just kind of suddenly fills in the the emptiness of the West. Mm-hmm. And uh... so then, like we we do that twice because then there's this long empty shot of this Western. It's calling it a street call it a town. yeah i was gonna say <laughs> I, calling I, it a town is generous even calling it a street feels weird because there's a few buildings there's a few buildings on one side and then there's just some rotten old wagons on the other and there's wind and tumbleweeds there's like a stray dog that's the whole town <laughs> uh and it doesn't look like a showdown because there's these guys who are riding in at the very very far end but what we get is extreme close-ups of their faces yeah uh that's one thing i like that this movie uses a lot we do get a lot of extreme close-ups not just of our main characters but of just guys who aren't even in the plot they're just watching it and just people with distinct faces i mean especially this first guy because i i necessarily so because you're going to need to recognize him like two hours later when he reappears (laughs) (laughs) 
And I did. It's <laughs> like, hey, Wait, that's that he face back? from the start. He does. Oh, I yeah. I thought he died in this part. I thought so, too. But then he comes back because just it's such a distinctive face and he's still hunting for Tuco. I'll, I'll point oh, it out. Oh, 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 yeah, the yeah. bathtub. Yeah, that's the guy. That's him okay. again. As you get uh, the close-ups of their faces and then a reverse perspective of the street and you see the our guy from the start at the very far end there. And it still looks like they might be showing down, but it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't though. feel that way. It, it just feels like they're closing in. There's this long, slow walk from both of them at from either end, and we just keep getting shots of faces moving towards the screen purposefully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and just like slow, they're implacable. Uh. And they they all get to the saloon door and they charge in shooting. And of course, Tuco comes flying out the window. He's <laughs> grimacing. He's brandishing both a gun and a turkey leg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got this half-eaten turkey leg. Uh, he comes barreling out the window. Through the window. and it just Through, it, through the window, yeah, yes. It freeze frames in just all the broken glass and him. Incredible tableau, just the look on his face, the turkey leg, the gun, and it says... <laughs> like meat stuck in his mustache. <laughs> and it, in kind of nice red cursive font, the ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I like that we get them in reverse order. Yes, um, at the beginning and at the end. Because I would argue that Tuco is the real protagonist of this film. I agree. Now that I've seen this, uh, we are watching the story almost entirely through Tuco's eyes. Yeah, he's really the main character. He certainly has the most dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> he has more dialogue in one scene than Eastwood has in the whole series. Oh, yeah. The first scene where where the two of them are together is so funny. <laughs> I have like the uh, his, Tuco's speech memorized from that because it's in a song i like <laughs> what there's a, there's a song by, i could never memorize all that <laughs> there's a song by big audio dynamite uh that oh i can't remember uh what the name of the song is now but it's from one of their early albums and it just has a big chunks of dialogue from this film <laughs> uh so the first guy we saw we see him fire one last dying shot, or seemingly, and then he falls backwards on the other two corpses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I love <laughs> it. Really gives you a like because this happened instantly. This happened in yeah. the space of like five seconds. So yeah, like, we've had like five minutes of them <laughs> approaching, and then just bam, 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 out the window, they're dead. Yeah, like we didn't even see it happen. It happened so fast. We just see Tuco coming out the window, and like, okay, this guy is impressive. He's obviously extremely chaotic, but. He knows guns. And he's, he's a really wild card. He is a fucking wild card. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut to uh, this boy riding a donkey in circles, turning a water wheel. And just off in the scrub, we see a rider arriving. Uh, and the boy runs inside to, you know, alert the parents that someone is coming. And it's Lee Van Cleef. Hey, I remember him. He was the good guy in the in the last one. He was Clint Eastwood's kind of buddy, I guess. Kind of, sort of. They became that way, sort of. Yeah. 
Uh, but, you know, he has the black hat, the, the wide black brim, and he has his own theme and it climaxes right as he just full face strides into camera. Just the the angel eyes theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the same character in this movie as he was in the last one. No, not at all. He's the most different. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, he he's pretty different. So uh, the they they really use distances in this. Uh, it, it's it's interesting the way distances work. It, it you know again showing the vast expanses of the West, the the as yet unpopulated West, or depopulated West in many cases. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but also unpopulated in in a lot of just vast empty areas like this which is mostly desert of course this isn't shot in america it's shot in no. spain uh <laughs> sure. not even italy it's shot in spain oh no <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that uh but the when we get the shot of the the, the house it's this weird really long house <laughs> Kind of reminds me a little bit of like that Citizen Kane shot where mm. it's like we're at the entrance of the house. We can see through the window the kids playing in the very backyard. It's just a real tunnel just, of like, a home. So many layers. Yeah. Because uh, there's the but, boy and his family at the far end in like the kitchen dining area when uh, Lee Van Cleef strides in. And th- he's just obviously menacing. Mm-hmm. And he's just, of course, standing there saying nothing and lets his silhouette just do all the work, mm-hmm. which works. Of course. And he just does a long walk all the way down the house to this guy who's seated at the at the table. And he sits and he serves himself some salad and they eat and they stare at each other. Yeah, the, the nobody in this scene has said a word. Actually, nobody in the movie has said a word yet. Yeah, this is ten minutes into the movie, and the very first line of dialogue is spoken. Uh, the man asks, "You from Baker?" <laughs> <laughs> and Lee Van Cleef does not respond. He just continues to wait. Like, let's let's let this guy play the rope out. Let's let's see what I can find out from him. And he ends up finding out quite a bit. Yeah, because the guy just starts babbling because he's very troubled by Lee Van Cleef. He's an extremely menacing dude. So they're like, oh, I don't know what happened to the coins uh, and and all the gold. And Lee Van Cleef's like, was there this guy named Jackson who showed up here? Uh, I think maybe now he's going by the name. uh, He's going by a different name. I just want to know his name. That's all I'm here for. I don't care about any of that stuff. He doesn't even know about he's... this stuff. This is like him <laughs> learning the information about the cash box, and he's going to go back to his other guy. He's like, uh, the cash box? Oh, well, what did he learn about the cash box? Give me more information. <laughs> That's interesting. Tell me more. And also, I need to know his, I like, I'm after Jackson. Give me his current name. He says, it's Bill Carson. Ah, Bill Carson. Bill Carson. A lot of people are going to be Bill Carson in this movie. Everybody's searching for him. Uh, Uh, He's a very important guy who has one key piece of information. And the old guy gives Lee Van Cleef $1,000. He's been paid 500 bucks to kill this guy. Uh, And he's like, all right, well, I'll give you $1,000. And he's like, okay, sure. But you don't understand. Once I'm paid... 
I, I got to <laughs> I got to see it through to the end. Yeah, I always see the job through. Uh, so he kills the dude, and then like one of the dude's sons pops in with a shotgun, and he kills him. Uh, he does not seem to. He does at least he is not a family annihilator. He doesn't seem to kill the wife or the younger boy. <laughs> But you know he would, though, if they had a weapon. Absolutely. It's just, you know, he's not that evil. He He's not quite that ridiculous of a villain. He, he's a more practical evil, which I think makes him scarier. Exactly. He's not a maniac. He's just uh, an evil authority figure. Uh, he, he uses the violence of authority. Mm-hmm. So he returns to his guy, Baker, and reports to him. And like I, I would say that he's lawful evil, right? Alignment. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. One hundred percent. If we were doing D and D terms, he, he's like pure lawful evil because he goes back to this guy. He's like, okay, but you know, he paid me a thousand bucks, and you know my rules. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'm pretty sure what he wanted with the thousand dollars he gave me was to kill you. So. Sorry, buddy. Blam. <laughs> <laughs> he shoots him four times in the head, smiling. You know, smiling <laughs> his Lee Van Cleef smile, that really sick smile. And this is where we get his the bad. <laughs> <laughs> so the ugly is certainly ugly, and the bad is certainly bad. Super bad, which is why <laughs> when you get the good, it's hilariously ironic, and it's going to be a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Not a lot of good in this film. <laughs> so we cut to a posse, which is uh, going to be shooting a horse out from under Tuco. There's a $2,000 bounty on him. Oh, poor Tuco, who did it all to himself i'm sure yeah i i have a full list of all of the crimes tuco is uh <laughs> accused of at the couple different points where they're all red and we'll we'll go through those soon <laughs> it takes so long <laughs> lee has an, a conversation with somebody else while they're listing off her crimes yeah there is this there are parts that you do not hear because just other people are having a conversation and then it comes back <laughs> to it continuing incredible Failing to go to church on a Sunday, going to church on a Sunday. <laughs> so Eastwood appears after these guys have shot Tuco's horse and they're going to gather him and they're like, there's a $2,000 bounty on you. And Eastwood comes out and he says, yeah, you don't look like the one who will collect it. And his voice is heard before he's seen. He's behind the camera, which is interesting. Yep. Yeah, we, we only see the back of his head for the first few times. Yeah, and just the the iconic nature of the voice, even though he's spoken so little in the previous two, we know we can introduce him by voice. He has that iconography already. Oh, yeah. So he steps into the frame and the camera, again, from the back of the head, and it it it, it moves from the back of his head down his right shoulder out to the gun hand and the hip with the gun on it. And like one of the posse uh, draws, and of course he shoots all three of them instantly, (laughs) easily. Yeah, he's got this cool like hole in his coat pocket so he's able to uh, shoot them through the pocket. Right, it's a fake pocket. It's just a a slit for his hand to go Mm -hmm. through. 
And Tuco's like, oh, thank you so much for uh, saving me, friend. And then, of course, he takes him in himself. And he's <laughs> bitching the entire way. I love Eli Wallach so much. Just talking the biggest game imaginable. <laughs> Blondie <laughs> saying nothing. <laughs> I, I love how they kind of almost managed to give everybody like equal billing in the credits. Of course, you have Clint Eastwood before... Uh, the good, the bad, the young, like before the title, and right. then uh, Lee Van Cleef after the title. But Eli Wallach gets and Eli Wa- Eli Wallach as, as Tuco. Yeah, as Tuco, which is great. So he deserves it. <laughs> as close to equal billing as you can get in the system without putting them yeah. all above the title. Yeah, they're all pretty close together. Uh, which I, I I appreciate that. Right. So just his whole thing, he just keeps going on and on. Uh, <laughs> what is this? One bastard goes in, another comes out. He keeps calling everyone <laughs> a bastard. Uh, and then, you know, ACAB also just, uh, oh, yeah, every police officer is bad. And I, I also uh, put a curse on everyone who birthed every police officer and who sheltered them. And <laughs> <laughs> I just, I love him as the noisiest western protagonist in history he's so mad like he just keeps he he wants everyone to pay attention to him he's drawing every eye to him he's like as the sheriff is paying the bounty to uh, blondie he starts going look everybody look he's giving him the filthy money (laughs) 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 and of course Nobody is at any point takes anything he says seriously. No, of course not. There, there's, you know, cr- he gathers crowds around him. It's it's entertainment. So everybody is there to listen to his list of crimes. And his list of crimes, in at least the other one, they say that he's given full confession. So I kind of think some of them are just made up. Some of them, it's just he's monologuing imagining as many crimes as he can just for the entertainment of seeing them all read out the next day yeah because <laughs> the second one he knows about the scam that he's about to participate in and this one he doesn't yet i don't know if he does or not because i think uh, he's, he would just talk this big of a game anyway well he would <laughs> of course but i i think in the next one he takes the opportunity to really just go to town with it because yeah since I, he knows he's I gonna feel be like fine I feel like he's been doing it a while. It seems like this is an ongoing scheme. But so the the next day he's being hung and they list the crimes. So here we got <laughs> murder, armed robbery of people, banks and post offices, theft of sacred objects. So he's doing like <laughs> Indiana Jones shit. Uh, arson in a state prison. I really like that one. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Perjury, uh, bigamy, desertion. So it's both he has a bunch of wives that he has deserted. Uh, of course, pimping, kidnapping, extortion, receiving and selling selling stolen goods, passing counterfeit money, and contrary to the laws of this state. The guilty is found of being used marked cards in a <laughs> in a poker game. Uh, proceed. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I loved just like the all the execute or like the priest reading out the last rites. I was like, all right, I, even in 
the different town into different priests. It's like, all right, I'm done. Go ahead. Yeah, they're they're all it's like we've had to read out this whole long thing. Like, okay, okay, get on with it now. Uh, we get his full name here. Tuco Benedicto Pacifico Juan Maria Ramirez. We cut to Blondie, known as the rat. <laughs> and any other aliases he may have. And they he's about to be hanged. And of course, Blondie shoots the rope and then he shoots the hats off all of the men in town around so they don't give chase. Because like, obviously, they're not going to be able to go after this guy. Yeah. And he just escapes on the horse. Yeah, they, they, they're splitting at 50-50, and it just cuts straight up to another hanging. It's like, we're, we're doing the scheme again. So, I've got another list of crimes. <laughs> I love this one. Tuco looks like he's bored and irritated on the rope rather than scared. Yeah, like, he's he's regretting how many things he told them. He's like, okay, this is taking a while now. <laughs> it's like, get on with it, get on with it. <laughs> so, assaulting a justice of the peace... Uh, raping a virgin of the white race and statutory <laughs> rape of a black miner. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I feel like he didn't do those no, probably. I, I feel most of this is just him making shit up. Uh, derailing a train is one of them. Because <laughs> this is where we, it I just cuts to, to Angel Eyes <laughs> watching and having a conversation and just it goes on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. He's getting information about all these coins that Tuco and Blondie don't even know exist yet. Yeah, he's way he's ahead working. of them. Yeah, he's talking to this guy Shorty who has no legs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he's finding it that so there's Stevens, Baker, and Jackson, and they were the three survivors of an ambush by Yankee soldiers, because this is mostly set within the, the South and the Confederacy. It's, it's behind those lines. Uh, so these guys were transporting a bunch of gold coins for some Confederate purpose, uh, and there's a big ambush. But the only guy who's still around is Carson. And the problem is he's been re-enlisted and the only information they know is like he's lost an eye. So you find him, he's a dude with an eye patch. Also, he's with this girl named Maria, who's a prostitute in Santa Ana. Oh, right. He doesn't even find out about the company yet. Nope. It, it takes a bit before anyone, it takes a long time before Carson is found. Well, yeah, and it, it's funny because he just turns up miraculously. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. He's not even found through detective work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so as 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 Angel Eyes is walking away, like a couple minutes of conversation later, we kind of <laughs> tune back into the list of crimes. <laughs> so, Having a dog the wrong way. <laughs> uh, falsely collected a bunch of funds as a wagon master and deserted a wagon train on Sioux territory. <laughs> <laughs> that one i kind of believe he did i believe that one <laughs> that really probably seems, it feels like his kind of scam <laughs> <laughs> and we cut to lee van cleef just there's some random bystander in a wagon saying oh i'm glad that this brutal criminal is being hanged and angel's like you know there's a sometimes a guardian angel for these kind of people and he like scans the crowd and there's an angelic chorus when he spots blondie <laughs> like, oh, isn't there like kind of a bit of a halo of light around him yeah it's it's kind of like oh okay he has divine protection that's interesting 
I, I do think it's funny how the bad guy is called Angel Eyes and uh, <laughs> yeah. no. Yeah. He, well, yeah, uh, Lee Van Cleef has the least angelic eyes of any person imaginable. It's such a great ironic name. <laughs> Dude has devil eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so they, again, they do the same trick, uh, but this time the rope does not break on the first shot, uh, which, you know, it, 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 there, there's danger there. And Blondie, again, just showing that he's not so good. (laughs) He's like, uh, I'm, I'm cutting the partnership. There's no future in this. You're never going to be worth more than 3000 Tuco. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep all the money. (laughs) yeah Uh, and uh you can just walk 70 miles back to town you're pretty tough i bet you'll make it he ties his hands together behind his back too and yep he he leaves him to die in the desert and is like you know if you really save your breath i think you can make it and then he leaves you know tuco cursing him out and cuts to like a nice a uh, close-up shot of Eastwood. Such ingratitude after all the times I've saved your life. And his title card, <laughs> The Good, shows up. <laughs> Which is so <laughs> ironic at that point. Like, man, this guy is not so good. <laughs> no, no, but he is... Uh, he, he is what... Hmm. I would say... So, alignment, again, chaotic good. Yeah, I would say chaotic good, uh, chaotic neutral, and maybe chaotic neutral. Yeah, yeah. Uh, For the three of them. Yeah. So we go to Santa Ana, where Angel Eyes goes to meet Maria, asking about Bill. He's like, well, he just left with the third cavalry. You know, obviously he has to slap her around a bit to get the information. Of course he does. That's what you do when you're the bad guy. (laughs) Yeah, he's the bad. Uh, Tuco arrives in some small town. You know, he he made it through the desert because he is tough as shit. <laughs> like the, yep. they see him coming into town, he he gets the water, and there's the one little store, and it puts the clothes sign out, but Tuco just like pushes in. Oh, this is is this the gun store? <laughs> I love this scene in the gun store. Just his <laughs> incredible prowess with guns. John Wick would later do this, but Tuco does it better. Yes. Uh, I, I think definitely the John Wick scene is a reference to this, but oh, this 100%. one is so perfect. Just him listening to the guns, him just like putting each one up, reassembling a bunch of different pieces, building the best gun out of all the revolvers that are available. And, and it's not scientific what he's doing. He's going by feeling. He's going by gut. And mm-hmm. it works he, for him. He has the instinct. Mm-hmm. So he builds a gun. He takes some ammo takes some booze, uh, gets a new hat. You know, he guys tries it outside and he, and the, the guy is like, like, how much is the last target? Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. There, there's a thing where he's shooting them and he just destroys all of the targets. He, he like both shoots them in the head each time. And then they turn to the side and he breaks the posts in half that they're, uh, the, yeah. Like sideways. On. Right. On them. And then it seems like, you know, it's like, all right, how much? And the guy's listing numbers and he keeps going higher. It's like $200. It's all I have. <laughs> the guy yeah. take, so he takes them all of the money, the 200 bucks. 
and he's he, gonna take the booze but he leaves it for the yeah, guy it's like you know what you can have the booze back and he puts the closed sign in his mouth <laughs> <laughs> i just love this little shopkeeper he's just such such one of those guys he barely has any lines he's really just it's it's such a face again uh <laughs> leona really knew how to cast faces so tuco goes to his old bandit hideout where there's his, the three brothers he's like he finds their campfire and he just starts monologuing because he knows they're going to be listening somewhere <laughs> oh too bad my three brothers aren't here because i got a line on two thousand dollars these these three old friends you know uh if you work for a living why do you kill yourself working he says a few <laughs> times uh and he's talking about how lonely and rich he is <laughs> i know about I this four thousand dollars that this guy has and you know i divide it equally four ways and you know, just if, uh... ropes magically appear from like a ceiling and just four dudes <laughs> or three dudes just to uh, rappel down. Great. So I, I think, sorry, this is kind of derailing and a little bit mm, going please. backwards, but sure. I, I remember kind of what I wanted to say about Clint Eastwood being the good. Oh yeah. I think it's kind of like when we think about the civil war, we think about the South as well, I mean, they were the ones who wanted to do the slavery. Yeah. And we think of the North as the great liberators. And I think Leone, as a not American, is kind of by making Eastwood this morally ambiguous kind of guy, being like, is the North really all that good, though? Did they have the best intentions doing this? They did good stuff, but yeah, are I mean, they good? We, we certainly see. Uh... An abuse of authority. Like when we get to the prison camp, obviously the prison camp is run very cruelly. Although a lot of that's <laughs> well, isn't it a lot of that's angel. I always for, yeah, I always forget. So this is my problem. I always forget whether the blue is the south and the gray is the north, or if it's vice versa. Uh, the blue is the north and the gray is the south. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that it is the north and it, yeah. Okay. Now I get it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he he gets his guys and then we go to town and there's this whole hotel manager who's just bitching and moaning about all of the rebels because there's this is a town where the the Civil War is really close by. There's just all of these rebels retreating through town. Yeah, because the North has come and they're launching a huge offensive and the South's got to get out of there before they get freaking massacred. And the hotel manager is, you know, monologuing about how, yeah, this fucking bullshit. And it's about time that they get all these idiots out of here. I'm glad that they're going to, uh, that the North is coming in here. They have actual money and they're not a bunch of assholes. And then he yells like, oh, the South will rise again. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Playing both sides. And Tuco appears with a gun and holds him up because he's looking for Blondie and Blondie's in the hotel. I love, uh, we haven't really talked about the sound effects, uh, mm. like the sound design of this movie, because you could, it's really amazing how they do it, that you could hear the individual grinding of the bristles as he's cleaning out his gun, and also all the cannon fire and chaos and shit going on outside, well, and it's, one doesn't overpower the other. Well, it's because it was shot silent. Remember, I know, these are it is a complete sound design like it is created in the studio 
So and it's so yeah. good because of that. It's like yeah, it's a beautiful sound design. It is some of the best of the Tower of Babel era. Like Leone just knew how to do this so brilliantly, and he had such a great crew with him. Yeah, uh, and this this scene here wouldn't work without that sound design. Yeah, it, it's it's all about like the battle slowly moving closer and just the the sound effects. Uh, yeah. So he's upstairs in room four and he's cleaning his gun. It's a real slow burn. The mm-hmm. gang going up. He's very slowly reassembling the gun. You're like seeing them move into position. It's like, is he hearing stuff? Because there's the army marching. So there's a lot of noise outside. Yeah. Um but there's a brief split second where, for some reason, the army, the army just stops. Yeah, because they're marching, and then it's like, halt! And he hears them for just a second, and he shoots all three of the dudes through as they're the coming Through the door, in. basically. Yeah, well, yeah, as they're coming through. Yeah, they were clearly just brought in as a sacrifice. Because Tuco <laughs> comes in by the window, and he's like, yeah, there's two types of people. People who come in by the door, and those who come in by the window. And he... Like, does a sign of the cross. And he's like, all right, sorry, guys. <laughs> needed to use you for this. <laughs> <laughs> I love this whole scene because it shows that Tuco, even though he's affected by the Civil War, is never really understands it and never really understands what's happening at any given time as the war goes. Right. I, very key is that Tuco is a foreigner. He is Mexican, I think. He is not American. And He's just not interested. Like Civil War is completely beside the point for him. It's yeah. It's like yeah. I, I'm not a part of either side of this. I don't care. He, I just want money. Have... <laughs> yeah. Uh but so... the war has no problem rolling over him. Right. Uh he so he gets the drop on him, and we're starting to hear artillery going off nearby. But I love Tuco's like, oh man, a storm, so epic. East was like, He's like I think that's cannon, cannon fire. fire. <laughs> He's like, eh, no, no, no. I, I wouldn't worry about it. There's other <laughs> things for you to worry about. He's brought a noose for him. And he's yep, like, Blondie, I want turn. you to step into the noose. And I'm going to shoot the legs of the stool out from under you. <laughs> and, and Blondie, of course, is taking his sweet time for this because he knows what's going to happen. He he gets magically saved by the war, which happens several times. Uh, it, I, like I, I symbolically, I'm not really sure what to make of that in terms of his character. Uh, he's a broad Western archetype, but it's he he's sort of the general goodness and the, the idea, just as a general concept, that the Civil War does kind of save the battered, but you know, heroic humanity within America. I'd say that there's some truth to that. Yeah, uh, like like the war fuels the legend of the hero. And... Yeah, because it was the moral choice, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still litigated to this day, though. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, but yeah, the the war hits the fucking hotel. Then artillery round blows up the place. Uh, Tuco goes through the floor and. Blondie is just magically gone. He looks up <laughs> he, and the, the noose is there teleports. and Blondie disappears. He's vanished. <laughs> he ninja vanished. Yeah. So Angel Eyes arrives at this destroyed fort. There's just tons of dead and dying. And he talks to the really angry commanding officer there who's uh, filling, filling a cauldron with corn cobs. 
<laughs> You've seen this guy? You think I have time to keep track of anybody? Yeah. Carson? He's gone. He's with the third. We're not the third. They're headed to Glorietta. Uh, and Canby, General Canby, is after them. So, I mean, there's they're about to get hit. I don't think there's going to be much left of them. You know, if yeah, he's they're... even still alive. Yeah, if they either have to face Canby or go into uh, one of those death deserts. Right, exactly. And he mentions Battersville, which is a Yankee prison camp uh, where it's if he's not dead, he's going to end up there. there there's just <laughs> no other way. There, he's not going to uh, get out of there. They're not going to win that battle. So this is where Lee Van Cleef is like, all right, I guess I'll just go post up at that prison and wait for him to come to me. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Which doesn't entirely work, but it's sort of effective. Yeah, I mean, he, he manages to get his own thing set up on the side. He he knows that there's a low odds of succeeding, but better than if better odds than anything else he could do right now. Right. Really great sequence of Tuco tracking Blondie by cigars. <laughs> oh, I love this. He, uh, I'm sure, intentionally left half-smoked uh, cigars perfectly intact in these campfires and yeah they're pretty obvious in some of them and then they're kind of hidden in some of the others and each time Tuco's a little bit closer and it's a little bit warmer and finally the last one he pulls it up and he's able to smoke the rest of it without <laughs> like relighting it or anything yeah <laughs> it's, it's just, i love that yeah it's great it's a great visual uh depiction of it it's cool Oh, I, I we missed uh, earlier. I love when uh, Eastwood gives him a cigarette or a cigar earlier. He just eats it. <laughs> <laughs> Tuco doesn't play by the same rules as everyone else. He's the ugly. He's super chaotic. He's the other. Yeah, and so uh, also true to that, uh, he catches up with Blondie running the same scam with this guy Shorty Larson. <laughs> uh, and he's about to be hanged, and Tuco just stops him from saving this guy. Sorry, Shorty. Sorry, Shorty. Uh, yeah, rip that guy. <laughs> Sucks to go well. And, and you feel like Tuco would have some sympathy, having been the guy on the other end of that rope a bunch of times previously. You'd think, but nope. Tuco's kind of had to fend for himself for most of his life. Yeah, and as we find, oh yeah, Tuco's the only one with a backstory. That's right. Tuco has a whole thing. Tuco uh -huh. has a family. Tuco has like five names. <laughs> <laughs> he has a brother who we meet. Yeah, who hates him. <laughs> oh, fuck. he loves his brother, but the brother hates him. Yeah, there, there is no reciprocation. Mm -hmm. So they head into the desert. Tuco is uh, gonna. Like he's looking for again the exact same revenge. Like, all right, I, I had you uh hanging and doing the shooting thing, and you know, we're we're switching the power dynamics there. Now we're gonna do the other thing. You made me march in the desert, I'm gonna make you march in the desert. How do you like that? Uh, they march for a I love his little pink parasol. Yeah. Well, it's funny, he takes him on a death march. It's not the same. Like he doesn't just no, it isn't send same. him into the desert. He follows supervises him. his death <laughs> yeah it's like just gotta watch you, to make <laughs> you can make it you're tough you got time to lean you got time to die he shoots holes in his canteen so he has no water of course the the burn makeup for this is pretty crazy it's 
intense. Because, <laughs> you know, we cut forward in time and Blondie is so badly burned. He, yeah, he is fucked up. There's the bit where Tuco is just washing his feet in a bucket. <laughs> Blondie's just face down in the sand, very badly burned already. And yeah. Tuco's like taunting him. He's like, hey, why don't you drink this? You know, he, he like washes, stamps his feet in it a bit. And of course, as soon as Blondie gets close enough to drink it, he just knocks it over into the sand. Of course. And he's like, all right, we're pretty much at the end of this. You're, you don't have anything left. They better execute you now. And then there's a rumble approaching. And it's a stagecoach. Again, uh, miraculous yes. saving. Uh, uh, an element of the war showing up to save uh, Blondie. The appearance of the stagecoach isn't the only miracle, but who is the one guy alive in the stagecoach? Right. It seems like everybody's dead, but there's this one dude with an eye patch. And then he, as Tuco's robbing all of the bodies, the one guy turns out to not be dead. And, you know, we see the eye patch. We know it's Carson. Yeah. And he begins to tell him. Well, first he wants water, and he's like, just give me water, I'll tell you where there's $200,000. And Duke was like, no, tell me first. Yeah, why don't you tell me first? He he pretends to be really helpful, but he keeps just pressing him for more information. And then finally the guy, you know, he, he gives some information that it's hidden in a cemetery on Sad Hill. Uh, which, interesting, this is a real cemetery, oh. but obviously it's in Spain. <laughs> oh well right i was gonna say yeah they didn't shoot on location at a sad hill in uh new mexico or whatever <laughs> no but it's interesting like it is that's like the real name of this cemetery it is a real cemetery called sad hill uh oh okay that's cool and it is like a military one from it It was the spanish army oh interesting uh, although maybe it was just built for the film. I don't know. I'd believe either one, honestly. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, that big center thing at the middle of the cemetery. If it wasn't built for this film, then it's a huge coincidence. It's an interesting thing. I mean, we have a lot of those in the movie. Because there's also one of those uh, at the at the house with the boy and the donkey or... Uh, uh lee van cleef kills them at the start they have one oh, of those yeah. uh, i think the final showdown in fistful of dollars is in one of those as well right they they recur throughout Maybe. this they're they're common in europe i don't really know what their purpose is but they i think we talked about it in fistful because they talk about in the commentary what they're for i don't remember oh, i don't remember they're that ancient like... though yeah, yeah. Oh, okay okay so where were we here uh oh yeah the bill carson uh yeah. sad hill and finally tuco has to go for water because he won't talk anymore yeah he can't can't anymore um and he comes <laughs> you're forgetting something yeah he comes back and of course blondie is talking to uh bill carson bill carson has died and blondie has gotten the name we don't know for sure that he has but He's claiming that he's got it, and we do learn later that he definitely did. Yes. Yeah. So Tuco has to save him. <laughs> he's like, oh, bloody, don't worry, I'll, I'll save you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm your friend, I'm, I'm your friend. I didn't mean anything with all that other stuff. It's a good thing I was close by when this happened to you. 
<laughs> just think what would have happened if I wasn't well anyway yeah so he they he dresses him up as one of uh, the other guys uh, Tuco dresses himself up as Carson he, you know he puts on the eye patch yep. and the whole thing and they head to the nearest rebel fort it's like you gotta save my friend he's he's very badly hurt and it's like we don't have anyone here who can help you <laughs> what do we you think just this got is? Our... We're being defeated right now. Yeah, we're like mostly dead. There's no one here. And they make a whole thing about the papers. And it's like, uh, you know, don't worry about that. But is there a mission near here? Where are we near? No, oh, yeah, there's a mission San Antonio. I'm like, oh, hey, I'll head over there. Because his brother's a monk there. So he's very mm -hmm. excited. He's like, oh, I've, I've got an inn there. That's perfect. Yeah, I get to go see my family because I, I do believe that for Tuco, family is important. Absolutely. Everything though, else about him. Yeah, even though clearly he has not seen him in decades. It's been yeah. a really long time. But it matters. It's just he has had so many adventures. <laughs> he's he's <laughs> had a busy life. That's true. Uh, so it's it's an interesting sort of oasis in this movie. There's like a few days where they're just relaxing, uh, recuperating. Yeah. yeah, the the doctor or the priests are working on Eastwood. Uh, Tuco's chilling, I guess. Yeah, because uh, he can't meet his brother yet because his brother's been out of town and they won't tell him why. And and Tuco's still, of course, trying to get Blondie to just give up the name of the. Right. Just like, it doesn't look good for you, but, uh, you know, just in case, why don't you tell me the information? Uh, As he's visibly looking considerably better. Yeah, he's clearly not. And of course, he won't give him anything. Of course. Uh, and then it's a few days later and they have to leave because the war is getting closer again. It just keeps moving around them. And his, his brother shows up and he is not happy to see him at all. I just wanted to see my brother. Okay, you saw me. And they're like, all right, you saw me. Uh, and like, he asks about their parents. Like, well, our mother's been dead a really long time. Uh, and I just got back from burying our father. And like, he, he was, asked for you, but yeah. you weren't there. He asked for you, but obviously you weren't there. Just like you're never there. Uh, and Tuco kind of does reasonably push back on him. I, I feel it's quite a bit like Luis Guzman in McBain. It's like, listen, man, there were only two ways to go. You could become a bandit or you can become a priest. You became a priest. My way was a lot harder. <laughs> I had to work for mine a lot more than you did, man. Yeah, and honestly, again, I think he's telling the truth about how he really only had two choices. Yeah. I, I don't disbelieve him at all. I think that is very true to uh, it, it feels like an absolute real origin story for him. And they punch each other and Tuco leaves. Yeah. So it's not a very satisfying thing. And it's it's a really touching moment where Tuco is you know doing his Tuco thing. He's talking big about how great it was to see his brother and how welcomed he was and you know we had this whole feast and he's yeah it was so great not realizing that blondie saw the whole confrontation yeah he was literally in the doorway watching secretly uh and blondie's like well after a meal there's nothing like a good cigar and he gives him a cigar because they have a real brotherhood you know forged yeah, by 
the action that they've encountered <laughs> together. Forged by all the all the shit they've done. Yeah, you know, they're they're brothers of circumstance. Uh the you know, the his real brother has lost to him because there's just they have nothing in common anymore. But these two guys have plenty in common. They both know half of the secret to gold. Yeah, and you know they have a whole and past. They, he saved his life yeah. all, ter- all sorts of times, and Tuco did kind of save his life just here. So there's some payback. I mean, he there. saved his life from from his him. own actions. Yeah. yeah, but that's also true of all of the times that uh, uh, Blondie that's saved exactly his life. What Blondie so, says too is like, such ingratitude. <laughs> such it's, ingratitude. it's the same thing as Tuco being like, yeah. "Hey man, I saved your life, man. Why don't you worship me, man?" They they have uh, similar views. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're they're not, not that different. No, they're very similar. It's just that Blondie seems cooler about it. <laughs> Tuco's much more wild. Mm-hmm. So they encounter a regiment, and they they think they're gray. So they're pretending to <laughs> like, oh yeah, no, I'm I'm Carson. You know, we're we're ready to. Yeah, Mina uh, was like, "Oh yeah, the, the yeah, south with General Grant. Woo, yeah, south. Hooray for uh, General Lee. General Ch- Lee. <laughs> he, he really knows his stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and turns out the guys are just dusty. Yeah, he he brushes the dust off, and it's not and like there's a lot of gray road dust on them, but they're actually in the blue. So they get arrested, and they get taken to the uh, prison camp that was mentioned earlier, and of course Lee Van Cleef's already there. As uh, he he just <laughs> went there and waited for them to show up. <laughs> yeah, he went there. Uh, he didn't just wait though. He he's been working too. Right. Well, he's established himself as the leading authority there. He's overtaken the actual commanding officer who is dying of gangrene. <laughs> <laughs> as long as I'm the commandant, you won't torture prisoners. Mm-hmm. As like, long as you're the commandant, like oh yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds great. I'll I'll really take care of that. And he sees Tuco, who is big and loud, and Tuco is being the Tucoist, so he's very noticeable. And he's like, yeah, Tuco, failing to respond as Bill Carson, and it takes a long time. Just everybody's paying attention to him, uh, just as every time uh, Tuco appears happens. <laughs> So they they beat the shit out of him because he keeps not answering, and then you know it's like, hey, hey, leave him be. I I might be able to use this guy. There's there's something going on here. Yeah, we also meet uh, Wallace, the the punching guard. Yeah, <laughs> that guy he, sucks. He's an asshole. I think I've seen him in some other stuff too. Uh, let me let me I see. I feel here. like I, can... I have. I. I want to say I've seen him in Spartacus, but I can't. I can't say oh, for sure if I have, have been. Uh, so it's Mario Brega. He was in the other ones. I think he was the main bad guy in the other ones. He's Chico in Fistful and Nino oh, yeah. for a few dollars more. Right. He was the uh, he was the main guard in one of them. Yeah, I think Chico in Fistful. I think that's I think yeah, so. he was the main baddie in that basically. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that's really where we would mainly know him from. I don't, yeah, I don't see a lot of other stuff that I recognize in his filmography. He's in several of the Django films, but not oh. the first one. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, no, nothing else really that I recognize. But oh, he's in Return of Oh, he's only in a cameo in Return of oh. Sabata. <laughs> uh, Lee Van Cleef's solo um, uh, uh, Western series, you know, sort of oh. his equivalent to this. He has his own trilogy. Hmm. So yeah, we I get the whole thing. That. So we have the whole thing with the CO dressing down Angel Eyes for you know beating up prisoners and robbing <laughs> everybody. I'm going to get you court-martialed and I'm going to dedicate my life to making sure you pay for what you did. Yeah, and like, you should gain respect by treating people better. That's how real authority should work. And, you know, Lee Van Cleef as, you know, modern authority is like, we'll see about that. Good good luck with that. (laughs) I'm the capitalist system. I don't think so. (laughs) I I don't care which side I'm on. I'm on the side that makes me the money. Yeah, this he was like, look, I know that you have a gang who are camped just outside the prison walls, who you're stealing from prisoners and ferrying shit out to. We know all of that. And Angel is like, oh, really? And he, like next scene, he goes to those guys like, I need you to lay low for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Too obvious. Everybody knows. Yeah, I'm not saying stop, mind you. Yeah. So he gets Tuco brought in to uh he's sweet to him at first he shares some food and it's like oh was it hard crossing the desert he's like oh yeah very hard (laughs) especially if you have nothing to drink and he's like laughing thinking about blondie dying (laughs) 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 it's a really great moment i love that (laughs) it's still funny to him yeah so angel eyes has a bunch of prisoners play a song and sing while he tortures Tuco for the information. And we learned that this is standard operating procedure in the prison camp. Right. One thing that I find really interesting, though, is they're not doing like a revolutionary ballad or anything. They're they're doing like a 50s Western ballad, you know, very high style, highly produced uh, 50s trail song type of thing. <laughs> totally. It's just interesting. Like, uh, in terms of symbolism, again, it's like the violence of the Western genre in the mainstream. It's like, oh, we'll just play this cheesy ballad over this supreme violence. I'm like, yeah, oh, whatever. This is how this is entertainment. This is for kids. <laughs> and we get the close up of the one guy with the busted eye who just can't keep playing the song. Because well, clearly it's happened to him before. <laughs> yeah. And he knows. He's like, the dude next to him was like, no, man, keep playing. You know what's going to happen. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just going to be you in there again. And he's like playing and crying. And I'm just like, holy shit. It's quite a moment in the movie. For this like one little nobody guy. <laughs> it's just so intense. A character with no name. But yeah, he, he's given all the emotion. So ultimately, Tuco gives up all the information. And... Angel Eyes brings Blondie in. He's like, I'm not going to bother torturing you. I know it won't work. <laughs> I guess. Also, you know, you're white. Well, yeah, exactly. In he terms say of it, the symbolism, Tuco yeah. is like, I'll just abuse him as much as I need to. But like, you're the white guy. You're the blonde guy. We'll work together. I, I figure, I mean, you know, we can get together with authority and a hero and we can figure this thing out. <laughs> I'm still going to use you just in a yeah. slightly different way. Yeah. Uh, I, I just need to partner with you. You're too smart to uh, do anything about the torture. So we'll split it 50-50. Obviously, we're going to cut Tuco out of it. 
Yeah, it's just your deal is exactly the same. You're just working with someone else now. Yeah, I, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna send Tuco in. He'll he'll get taken in for his bounty finally. Uh, Wallace will take care of him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wallace <laughs> doesn't know what to do with the wild card. So at night, Angel Eyes Gang all come out of hiding, uh, while. Uh, Blondie and Angel Eyes are on the trail and uh, like Angel Eyes or not Angel Eyes, uh, Blondie shoots one of them and is like, okay, you guys all better fucking come out of hiding so I don't have to get anxious and start shooting people lurking in the woods. Yeah, why don't we all just hang out? To, why don't we all just travel together? Yeah, you, you're going to be following us anyway, so you just better be visible, not making me nervous. And like I've got just them. yeah, it's like there's five of you. That's perfect. I have five bullets. So of course Tuco gets Wallace. <laughs> <He's>... <laughs> yeah, I love how he kills Wallace. It's just so brutal, but it's, deserved. It's harsh. He he's pretending to pee off the train. He's like, I, I gotta take a piss, and it's like and I can't do it with you watching. <laughs> and Wallace, I'm sure, is like, well, I'm sure it's fine. What's he gonna do? throw me off the train he's handcuffed he'll be yeah. off the train too he would and, never do that and of course he does he grabs him they, they go flying off the train he just bashes his head in on a rock oh it's, it's quite brutal yeah it, it like he really, hits him a good number of times yeah and we don't cut away from it either we're watching this yeah and then it's a great cut to him just with the corpse of wallace on the train tracks <laughs> and he's just like as far off of it as he can get with just his wrist chained to him. So he's waiting for the train to pass over to cut the chain. Yeah, he's like trying to duck down as low as he can. And for it any looks like other a... character, this would not work. No, it looks like a fucking dangerous stunt even. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Uh, I I wonder how they did it. I'm not really sure. It It's very impressive. It looks like fucking Wallace is under that train. Yeah, I love... <laughs> I love that the train drags his like ragdoll corpse. <laughs> yeah, it goes. It's a little bit down the tracks from <laughs> from Tuco when he gets back up. And of course, Tuco is one hundred percent fine because uh, one thing I've noticed about this guy is he, in D anD D terms, he only ever rolls either natural twenties or natural ones. Yeah, he's resilient. He's got a real string of luck, but yeah. sometimes he just fucking totally fucking flubs <laughs> fails hard if he has luck it's not necessarily good luck yeah it just goes one way or the other yeah so angel eyes and his gang stop in this town that the union is already crossing through and tuco's there he spots them but the town's already being shelled so this one it's like pure chaos already the, the war is surrounding them mm -hmm. and a wagon shows up with the dude from the first shot of the film. <laughs> it's like, oh, holy shit, okay, it's that face. Yeah. Oh my God. And he spots Tuco and is like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get that whatever thousand dollar bounty from way, way back then. Right. And he's, I, like, I assume there's some sort of personal vendetta involved as well. well you know, probably it, it seems because like Tuco shot him in the bar. Yeah. I, I mean, even... Even maybe before that, there there yeah, seems maybe. to be like an existing animosity. But anyway, he's tracking him down. Crostuco's just having a bath. He's he's putting <laughs> all of the soap available in it. 
uh he's lost an arm since <laughs> it's it's been eight months since the beginning of the movie we learn holy shit <laughs> he's like i've been tracking <laughs> oh you for God. eight months and we see that an arm is missing so that's presumably from tuco because i think he blames him for it so he got shot in the arm and he lost the arm so he's really oh. mad now <laughs> <laughs> And, and it, <laughs> you know, he just keeps talking and talking and Tuco finally just shoots him through a gun that he has hidden in, in the bath. <laughs> I love that Tuco's look on his face the whole time is like, are you really just going to talk the whole time? Yeah, he's just listening. Like, I can't believe you're still talking. <laughs> like, all right, I'm, I'm going to shoot you now. We're done. And it's like, when and you he... have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, the exact same Clint Eastwood does this in what was the one we watched? Oh, uh, um, High Plains Drifter. That's right. He does this exact thing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, elsewhere, Blondie is recognizing the sound of Tuco's gunshots. He's like, "Oh, I recognize that gun. <laughs> I recognize <laughs> no that gun." No other gun sounds like that. Yeah, I'm like, "That's Tuco." <laughs> uh, and he starts to go looking. And he kills one of Angel Eye's guys who starts to follow him. And he gets the drop on Tuco. He's like, listen, I don't like this Angel Eye's guy. He's uh I, I'm not an, I'm not someone who's into authority. Authority is obviously very anti-authoritarian. Why don't you and me team up? <laughs> we'll take out all of those guys and we'll go get the gold. You know, each of us have the information needed. And I haven't told him anything yet. He doesn't know the information. Yep. So what follows is a classic Western gang shootout. It's pretty cool, especially because like the whole town is ruined and burning down because it's been mm -hmm. shelled the whole time. Like it's const it's currently being shelled. Like yes. cannon fire is blowing up stuff around them as they go. Yeah. And yeah, there's there's a part where they're gonna face off with two of them like two of angel eyes guys and two uh and you know uh blondie and tuco and then cannon fire just blows up right in the middle of everything and everyone has to take cover yep. <laughs> <laughs> like it just keeps getting closer and closer in mm -hmm. <laughs> uh but then yeah they take out all four of them of course and then tuco's like listen Angel Eyes is mine, because obviously he's pretty pissed off about the torture. <laughs> and Blondie's just like, sure, whatever. He's like, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> and they they find a note, and Tuco can't read. Oh yeah, that's right, he can't. <laughs> but Blondie picks it up and says, see you soon, idiot. Blondie's like, <laughs> it's for you. <laughs> <laughs> so Angel Eyes, realizing that I love it. He's so practical. He's like, okay, well, um, it's the same thing as the. It's it's the same thing with the prison cams. Like, well, I know where they're headed. <laughs> yeah, I might as well just wait for them there and not expose myself to all this shit. Yeah, fine. I'll just go wait for them there, and I know where they're going to show up. And it, it worked yeah. with, it worked with the camp, and it worked here. Uh -huh. <laughs> so on the way to the cemetery, Tuca and Blondie, it's weird. They become am. It's. They're ambushed by a massive battle. Like they come over a ridge and they get grabbed by a bunch of guys, and there's a gigantic war in front of them. It's like they've just arrived at the front. <laughs> oh, is accidentally. This the yeah. 
Oh, I love this. Branson part. Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the CO here. This guy's so funny. The super fucking wasted captain. Yeah, there's just this giant battle that's going to take place at this river. They keep having to protect this bridge. And the CO's like, do you guys want to enlist? I'm like, yes, absolutely. And I'm like, where are you guys from? I'm like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> they both, like, hesitate for a long time. Uh, plot is like, Illinois. Yeah. I'm like, uh... I, I'm with him. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not from Illinois. And the, the commanding officer, he starts speechifying about how alcohol is the real fighting spirit that wins wars. You want some booze, guys? Yeah, booze. Let's do this thing. He's like barely able to stand. His like shirt is all ruffled. <laughs> and he's like, so Branson Bridge, it's this key position. Both sides want it. And it would be court-martial offense if I were to even think about blowing it up. But I want to blow it up so bad. But I can't. <laughs> but I want to. But it's not right. And we get just but, a gigantic battle. And it's it's a mess. It's obviously just total waste. There's no point. It's a fucking meat grinder. Yeah, and, like, there's no point to protecting this bridge. It does absolutely nothing. You can wade across, as they show a couple of... They swim across themselves. They do! <laughs> twice. They swim back and forth during the battle. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it shows the pointlessness of this gigantic thing. And Blondie says... I've never seen so many men wasted so badly. Yeah. And they're like, um, let's blow this thing up. Fuck it. We could do this. Yeah, well, let's let's do something heroic on the way to doing the thing we need to do, because it will create enough chaos that we can get by. <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> if there's no bridge, they'll have to do the fight somewhere else. Yeah, they like won't have this, anything to fight yeah, for anymore. These guys are really cramping our style. We need to get across here. So if we blow up the bridge, the they'll take the fighting we'll elsewhere. Like, yeah, it's more yeah. about let's get these it's guys. It's really out of about hair. let's get them out of the way. <laughs> so the, the captain, good. Gets, yeah, and the captain gets super badly wounded. He's dying, but he sees them take the TNT and is like, "Hey, keep your ears open." So he's like holding on to life because he's so excited to see this bridge get blown up finally. So he's yeah, been he's waiting like, for it. Keep me alive, just a few more minutes, please. <laughs> so they start wiring the bridge, and Tuco's finally like. Well, why don't we tell each other the information at this point? You know, things are really dicey and we've don't we trust each other? Come on, we're we're doing this big heroic thing right now. I'll tell you, it's it's the Sad Hill Cemetery. Huh? And Eastwood's just kind of like, oh shit, you actually told me. I'm like, huh. All right, well, fine. The grave is Arch Stanton. And they blow up the bridge, and the CO dies happy. Like he dies with a big ass smile on so his face. So happy to hear that thing explode. Uh, but the battle just keeps going all night. So they just like hunker down. We have Tuco <laughs> like an up. ostrich. <laughs> <laughs> That's, he is this character is like so real. But he's also so cartoony too. Like this is a pure cartoon moment. He's like Bugs oh, Bunny yeah. here. But it's like this guy, I believe that he would do it just like this. And of course that Blondie wouldn't try to get him more carefully nope. hidden and that it would still be fine that he would just stay there all night like that. He falls asleep <laughs> that way. They wake up the next morning in just covered in dirt in those positions and everybody else is gone. Like yep. that is 
cartoon editing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought that. <laughs> well, with the fact that maybe eight months have passed in this movie, maybe they've been lying there for a week. Who knows? Because they do pass through just fields and fields of dead bodies. Oh, yeah. Uh, They pass a dying Confederate soldier. Blondie puts his coat on him. And then Tuco rides off on a horse. He steals the guy's horse and he's going to get there first. Going to go dig the grave (laughs) for our Stanton. Yeah, because now he's got the name. He doesn't need Blondie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You thought I was going to trust you? No, no. Blondie just finds... Blondie doesn't seem concerned. Well, he finds a cannon and he shoots it at him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, he blows him off his horse. And they get to the graveyard. It's gigantic. It's a really great scene of Tuco running through all the graves in circles. Oh, and the, the, music the music building. Ah, yeah. This is where um, the score just takes over the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically all score from here on out. Yeah. So Tuco um, finds the grave. Arch Stanton's grave starts digging it up, but of course Blondie arrives. He throws him a second shovel, <laughs> and then Angel shows up. He throws a third shovel, but of course Blondie is like, "Well, you're not going to find anything in that grave." And they open up the grave, and it's just a skeleton. Like, yep, yeah, I lied. <laughs> Obviously, I lied. Come on, he was like, "You wouldn't believe. I can't believe you wouldn't trust me, Blondie." And like. <laughs> You just ran away from me. <laughs> just tried to cut me out again. She's like, all right, I'm going to write the name on the bottom of this stone. Place it in the middle of the stone circle. And we'll all have a face off. We'll have a big I, final fucking showdown. I love how he says it, though. He's like, $200,000 is a lot of money. We're going to have to work for it. Yeah. And it's it's rad. They have the it's incredible so good. fucking... Ah. The music just rising. Wow, the faces. Wow, wow. Well, just it just like keeps cutting. getting bigger and bigger. And they haven't moved. They're just like the only thing that's actually moving is their eyes as they're looking back and forth. Yeah, we're getting the extreme close-ups of the eyes again and again and again. Uh, and finally, it comes down to Tuco tries to fire and there are no bullets in his gun. <laughs> <laughs> yep, Angel, or, uh, Blondie just shoots Angel Eyes. Right. Um, Angel Eyes obviously was going to shoot Tuco. Uh, yep. And Angel Eyes just falls immediately into the mo- open grave of Arch Stanton. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Tuco's like, what the fuck? You took the bullets out of my gun. When did you, did do, you that? do that? I was like, yeah, last night when you were fucking passed out. <laughs> oh. Uh, I, I love they even shoot his hat so it also falls in the grave on him. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, all right, Tuco, dig. <laughs> There's two kind of people in this world. People with loaded guns and those who dig. And he throws him a shovel. And so it's, well, which grave? It's the unknown, unmarked grave next to Arch Stanton. They, they dig <laughs> it up. The rock has nothing written on it. Yeah. And they, they dig. Yeah. He, he picks up like, well, what was written on the rock? And he shows nothing. <laughs> <laughs> So they, they find the gold in Arch Stanton, or the, the unknown, the unmarked grave. And then Blondie's like, all right, Tuco, getting the news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's well, such a dark turn at say. the end of yep. this movie. Like, oh, he's this is what the good is going to do to complete the film. He's going to just execute his quasi-partner. <laughs> There's been some sweetness between them. They've, they've 
bonded, but you know, they've also, well, I can't even say who started it at this point. I've been watching the movie right. from the beginning, but who started this? I don't yeah, know. I don't know. <laughs> so he has him stand on one of the crosses, which is pretty shaky. And he yeah. has him in the noose. His hands are tied behind his back. And Blondie only takes half the money. He leaves half the money for Tuco. Yeah. And he starts, he, he rides away. He rides over the horizon. And he's gone. And so Tuco starts screaming his name. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting hard because the rope's getting tight. And at the last minute, of course, Blondie turns back, fires and breaks the rope. And it's just that incredible <laughs> so freeze frame of each of them. We see Tuco again, extremely chaotic, in motion, grimacing. He's falling uh, from the news, just saved at the last second. About the to ugly. land face first into <laughs> the gold as the music goes. Ah! The ugly. And then we, we cut to <laughs> Lee Van Cleef forgotten in his grave. In the grave, dead with the, his hat on him. <laughs> the bad. <laughs> and uh, uh, Blondie riding away off on his horse. Majestic, heroic, untouched by anything. The Into good. the sunset. Yeah. And that's the end. And it's, it's fucking great. It's perfect. Oh my God. <laughs> what a this film. movie is so good. This is. Um... I, I don't I haven't seen a Western that's topped this. I mean, I haven't seen that many outside of this show, but nothing has topped this. I, I don't know if anything could. I think for me, probably once upon a time in America, once upon a time, once upon a time in the West, uh, which is a subsequent uh, Sergio Leone Western. He did two more. OK, uh, that one is maybe my favorite. Oh, OK. Well, I'd like to see that one. Uh, it does at not some point. It doesn't have, uh, it doesn't have Eastwood, but it has Bronson. Uh, Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson, yeah. Who actually oh. was original? He was the original choice for Angel Eyes, by the way. Would have been weird. I, I like. I think he could have pulled it off, but I think Lee he could Van have. Cleef but... is perfect. <laughs> Lee Van Cleef created the iconic. Uh cowboy bad guy well it's the eyes it's the hat i mean he is the mustache perfect. The, the evil grin but uh once upon a time in the west it's fantastic it's it's him as i think he's a native or a mexican like he's sort of in a tuco style role but he's like this avenging angel with a harmonica so his character's oh. name is just harmonica <laughs> okay that's cool he's great but I that like one uh, still absent on Blu-ray. Someone got to fucking really get a re get a nice remaster of that. I do have the DVD. Well, I, yeah, that's something. At some point, yeah, we'll we'll have to do it at some point. Anyway, mm-hmm. that brings us to the end of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Do you have any last thoughts before we move on to part two? Yeah, there are only there are only two kind of podcast hosts in this world. One's named Jay. And one's named Shanna. I think there's a lot of other podcast hosts. There in this are business. actually a lot of other uh, podcast hosts. We are we are not the only ones, and we are not we, the only archetypes. My, my, like, well, not even archetypal. Those are just our names. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, let's head on to part two. We've got a couple more films to discuss. Oh, hell yeah. And we're back for part two. 
where we're going to be talking about two additional feature films. Uh, first, we're talking about Rene Cardona Jr.'s, uh, well... Under Siege is <laughs> Under the title. It's the most common title that seems to be used, but it's my least favorite of the titles. Uh, the original I mean, title... It's such a generic title. It's lame. And I mean, it's been used more memorably with that fucking Steven Seagal one, where he's mm. the, the cook on the boat. Yeah. Right. I, I don't think I've seen it, but I know the one you're talking about. I mean, it's There's a cigar. so Whatever. many movies with Under Siege in the name. Yeah, I mean, this one even had a sequel. There's Under Siege and Under Siege 2 Dark Territory. Anyway, this one is How from... they sequelize this? This one's from 1980. I think it was a TV movie or something. Uh, really? It, uh, I did see it, actually. It is called uh, the original title Traficants de Panico or Panic Makers. I think that's a much better title. Uh, it's a lot closer to what happens, too. Yeah, the fucking total chaos. It's just panic. Uh, yeah, there's a little bit of a sequel. Well, this is kind of two movies. There's the hostage movie, and then there's just car chase explosion movie. Right. I mean, it is all just a criminal getaway movie. It just takes a lot of different paths. Uh, so that's the other big known title hostages which i you know it's it's on the nose but i guess it's accurate enough it yeah, covers it a decent works. amount of it but yeah i definitely yeah. like traffic against the Benico or panic makers the best i i agree i mean it's it's unique yeah uh the others are both very generic titles mm-hmm. there's not much to them uh yeah so this is as you said it's basically a heist getaway movie we don't really we we see the heist it takes like five seconds and it's executed completely perfectly uh, but their <laughs> their, plan their, was, yeah, their plan ran out at that point <laughs> it was do the heist question marks profit it's that is the crazy thing about this movie there, it is a gigantic criminal gang there's so many criminals involved and they have ripped off so many casinos at the same time. It seems to be the end of Ocean's Eleven. They're <laughs> simultaneously robbing five casinos, and then question mark. They did not think of how they were going <laughs> to get away with it. They they planned the actual taking of it perfectly. It's this whole fucking crazy machine gun assault of a casino that opens the movie. Yeah, um, turns out it's they actually did have a plan for a getaway, but it got thwarted because the one guy was late getting to the hideout and he was late getting to the hideout because party girl threw the wine bottle that acted as a banana peel right because the the car hit the hit and it broke the it flattened the tires so the guy didn't get that yeah, right and then they right. had to and then that's what set this whole thing in motion is that stupid girl for want of a shoe a horse was lost for want of a horse the war was lost yeah it's one of those things i haven't heard that saying uh it's i don't even remember where i know it from <laughs> i would say we open with uh a few, three couples in a club but the scene actually doesn't matter we find out much much later that these are the guys that are going to be taken hostage but Right. Uh, we okay. don't even know how they're going to relate to anything. Oh, right, yeah, you, then... you see all the people who are doing their shit, and then we, we establish just this group of drunks who yeah. will matter, like rich people will matter later. Some of them split off and will show up again. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's it's to establish their house, and we know their neighborhood, so when the roving criminals show up, we know that they're clearly going to end up in that house. 
Yeah, except it doesn't even really establish that because we just see them in the club and I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It was clear to me that it was like, well, obviously these people are going to figure in later that they're going to just have to be yeah. hostages because the title of yeah. the movie's hostages. <laughs> right. I didn't know that was one of the titles. I mean, it's, it's, it's it was I the didn't... one that we were calling it last week, though. <laughs> oh, right. Because <laughs> it's the one that it appears on Letterboxd. The main one no, on... We know I don't... My memory doesn't last a week. <laughs> As we have said several times, the memory of a goldfish. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, to me, it just was pretty evident, like, okay, well, these are our hostages for later, whatever. And then we get to the casino fucking crazy assault. Yeah. It's nuts. Uh, just, it, they just There's so many of them. Spraying <laughs> bullets everywhere. And yeah, there's so many of them. It looks like they have like this elaborate thing where they're, one guy's dressed up like a girl, but then they just spray bullets everywhere. Well, yeah, and um, I believe they have a clown car moment at the start where there's just people coming out of the back of a, uh, coming out of the trunk of a car. And there, then, there is that. Yeah, and then they just full frontal assault machine gunning uh in a huge casino it's a beautiful location and then total fucking chaos (laughs) it's like um have you ever played the grand theft auto games particularly Mm. the playstation 2 ones yeah or you just try to get as many stars as you can and then see how long you can live for yeah this definitely feels like a grand theft auto scenario where like okay you gotta heist the casino and then you (laughs) You have you just like, got to avoid the cops until they get tired of chasing you. Well, it's like you have the story built in way to assault it. So you're on rails up to that point. But then the getaway is you have cars that you steal because it's a Grand Theft Auto game and you get away somehow. That's how the setup <laughs> so, of this movie works. <laughs> mm-hmm. So much car switching. A lot of car switching. A lot of cars and, just getting no blown up. To any of it. You randomly kill some dude and you're going to take his car, but then you just doesn't end up working out. So you have to go hide. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it, it is absolute chaos from the get go. This this movie is paced kind of weird because it's hectic. It, it is hectic. Like you'll have absolute chaos in the background and then you'll have our three main criminal guys, uh, Franco, Pedro and Carlos, who just keep walking uh, around and they keep just keep being just unable. trying to be nonchalant yeah they, they're they keep not being able to get into a vehicle it just keeps not working out for them there there's a delivery truck and they're gonna run to get it but it gets away after it it just drives away too fast they, they weren't even noticed I'm like well fuck and they've already killed some dude and it's like ah what are we gonna do they're gonna catch up with that murder now soon <laughs> i love that like there's one point where they see a helicopter overhead and it's like ah he's just looking for traffic and it's like i don't know man he might be looking for us the guy's like oh yeah maybe it's like oh shit yeah we actually maybe we should get off the street didn't think about that again they <laughs> had no planning <laughs> no plan <laughs> <laughs> nothing in mind all because that one girl threw the wine bottle out the window. Right. And is she is, is she the one who gets shot in the backyard? She is the one who yeah. freaks out, runs away, and yeah. gets shot. Right. Which uh, I guess is supposed to be ironic. <laughs> uh, I guess. But... She she is the one who uh, follows up the their plan. Sucks. Well, she is also obnoxious, and she just makes constant stupid decisions. Yeah. But there's like... always someone like that in one of these Rene Cardona Jr. pictures. So you're, you True. you said just before we were starting about the Rene Cardona Jr. The, so this is volume two of the Cardona collection. 
uh, from and we had done two. Treasure of the Amazon. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Treasure of the Amazon. We did uh, from Volume One. Right. So two <laughs> Vinegar Syndrome sets. I guess they're only doing the two, which is kind of too bad. Uh, I really like this second one, and first one was a lot of fun. Uh, just. I know that there's so much more to mine in the Cardona filmography. There, there's <laughs> three Cardonas and like, there's a Rene Cardona, a Cardona Jr. And uh Rene Cardona, the third. Oh shit. And they all, they're all these kinds of movies. They're all crazy Mexican exploitation filmmakers with gigantic filmographies. So that sounds awesome. You know, I want to see all of it. I, I totally want more, especially because uh, I think both Cardona senior and junior did a bunch of Santo. Yeah, so I'd oh, love to see more of their Santa films. I want films. that. I think yes. the one we watched was a Cardona as well. Let me look that up. Oh, uh, Santo versus Dr. Death uh, is the... Let's see. Uh, no, that one's Rafael Romero Marchant, so it is not one of his. So, yeah, they, I'm sure they could do more Cardonas. Come on, give me some of those Cardona Santos. Oh man, I would love to see a Santo that's like this. Or just like Treasure of the Amazon, right? Yeah. Just have Santo in the jungle. And I mean, there it definitely works. are some of those. I yeah, just I'm I'm into more because these are fun. They're crazy. They're all they're similar. Like you you get a similar vibe in all of them. They have that looseness where they don't fit together quite right. There's places yeah, where it gets just, weird and slack for a while. <laughs> there's characters that you're not even sure why they're in the film because they're not connected to anything. And they never do anything. It's just like, we needed to add another character. <laughs> <laughs> well, we saw Donald Pleasance and we had to write this whole part for him because we wanted to put him in. Well, you gotta, I would. <laughs> I would. If Donald Pleasance wants to be in a movie, I'm making a part for him. Right. Rest in peace. Yeah, he's one of the greats. Uh, yeah. One of the absolute greats of exploitation because he always brought a performance. You know, yes, he there, always looks like he's having fun. Like, I've never seen a Donald Pleasance movie where he's phoning it in. Like, it may not be a good <laughs> performance, but it's always a hell of a performance. There's a lot of a performance. Uh, I get a feeling we might talk about him in part three. We may have to. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's not in this movie yet. Right. The, the the only two people that I really know from this one are both police. So Stuart Whitman as the inspector. He was in Treasure of the Amazon. Oh yeah. He was Yeah. <laughs> he he was like the the old hermit. The the main guy. The the sort of Oh, oh, um Gringo. Gringo, yeah. Was that him? I believe so. I think that was oh, him. Oh shit. Okay. Let me just make okay. sure I'm not making shit up <laughs> let's see that was uh yeah you know, gringo in 85 uh and <laughs> hugo stiglitz is captain sylvester he was the captain of the boat in treasure of the amazon oh okay cool he, he was cool. the steamboat captain there uh and i know him mainly from nightmare city which is one of my favorite zombie movies i have to get you to watch it sometime mm. <laughs> i i mostly just know the name because you know he's a character in inglorious bastards Correct. yeah they used his name as a character <laughs> yeah because <laughs> yeah tarantino's uh, a huge hugo stiglitz fan dude is in a ton of crazy uh italian and mexican exploitation stuff <laughs> uh so as these guys are walking down the suburbs of uh 
Puerto Rico somewhere. It, uh, I don't know what city, but it is Puerto Rico. Are, like, are there cities? Isn't it just like I actually Puerto don't Rico know. I don't know enough. Uh, I, no, I think there's like cities and towns and it. Fuck, I don't actually know, and I should. Know. I think it's it's a pretty small space. Uh, I that's prob- I, I, I probably. I have true. I have seen a documentary that was trying. Uh, there's there is a mystery science theater short, uh, Progress Island, USA. Oh, Puerto I think Rico. I've seen that one. And yeah, it it definitely gives me the impression that it's fairly small and fairly contained. And also, I've read the Rum Diaries, which was Hunter Thompson's. Uh, I think it was the Rum Diaries that was set there too. It was just him, just okay. constantly drinking rum and wandering around <laughs> Puerto Rico, <laughs> if I recall. All right. <laughs> but yeah, they're in like a rich yes. neighborhood. It looks really nice. Mm-hmm. Super nice. Uh, meanwhile, the cops have closed in on the main hideout. And we got a big shootout with grenades and exploding cop cars. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> nameless people getting gunned down left, right, and center. The movie has, uh, like, multiple sequences like this where it's just like, oh, this is suddenly total fucking chaos. <laughs> so much action. <laughs> and we cut to our three criminals who are just watching this. Right. And they're like, hmm, maybe we shouldn't go to the hideout. Like, let's, let's just uh, duck into one of these houses. We'll take some hostages and we'll figure out where to go from there we'll lay low until nighttime <laughs> unfortunately they take hostages from the most popular and busy people in town it seems yeah like. they, they they really got someone who is too involved in other things there's a guy who has to <laughs> sign a whole bunch of paychecks today right now yeah yeah mr the lombard family uh william kim uh their daughter jessica uh, the sister Lisa, who is friends with stupid party girl Jessica, uh, party girl. Je- is that is that uh, Laura's the party Laura, girl? Laura. Jessica's the daughter right. of the school. Jessica's girl. the youngest daughter. Yeah, uh, and Maria the maid, and then some other to help. Right. So William, I, I, Francisco Rabal, I have definitely seen him in a bunch of other stuff. Like he's in a lot of the. I want to say the Almodovar stuff. Is it Almodovar okay. I'm thinking of? Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, he's definitely in Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. Hmm. Uh, right. <laughs> I don't know it, of course. <laughs> uh, he, he's super prolific. He has 216 credits on IMDb. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to see if there's if I could pull some specific ones that I know. Uh, that are fun. God, there's so much. Oh, he's in Nightmare City, of course. Yeah, he's he's okay. the he's he's the uh, major, uh, the the uh, the head of the military in that one. Uh, right. um, uh, he, oh, he's in Sorcerer. Sorcerer is fucking awesome. You have to see Sorcerer sometime. Uh, it's a William Friedkin. I, I wonder if I have. Uh, it's a Friedkin. It's about a group of dudes. It's a remake of a 50s film. Uh, it's about these dudes who are hired to drive two trucks full of leaky nitroglycerin tablets over a really rickety mountain road. <laughs> Shit. It's fucking tense. It's awesome i bet it's so good oh my really god incredible tangerine dream score also 
Oh, nice, nice. Uh, What's it called? Uh, Sorcerer. <laughs> Sorcerer. Yeah. All right. No, I haven't seen oh, that. We'll totally have to do that one sometime. It is awesome. Uh, Beyond Erotica <laughs> is one I've seen. <laughs> he's, he's in that. I don't remember that one, All but right. I know I've seen it. Uh, wow, just huge, huge familiar. He's in The Witches, which is uh, you know classic. Uh, wow, I probably have seen it. Oh, he's in something. He's that... in a bunch of. Uh, he's in some of the 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 latter day uh, the the Mexican shot stuff by Luis Buñuel too. Oh, he's in. Oh shit, he's in his. Uh, he's in Viridiana, which is awesome. Uh, wow, this dude yeah. has just an unbelievable career. Yeah. Anyway, Damn. so he's the dad. He's the paterfamilias. Yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, so there, there's this whole thing. They're they're taking him hostage. Uh, their plan is to just lay low until the cops kind of uh, forget about him because you know that's as good of a plan as they've ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but Mr. Lombard. Well, first uh, the school bus shows up to take the daughter to work, and they have to get rid of them. And then Mr. Lombard had to sign the checks. Right, so they need so to they send, send a secretary in to bring all the checks so he can sign them. Because they're pretending that he's too sick to come in. Yeah, uh, the phone keeps ringing off the freaking hook. There's like 10 people calling them. The mom's, it's like, the, the mom, they just get the mom to like, get rid of them, get rid of them. <laughs> over and over. And, and like, of course, Laura calls to hang out with yeah. the, the older sister, Lisa. She's the party girl from yeah. the night before. Who broke yeah, the... she's like, oh, it's like, oh no, Lisa's sick. Oh no, 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 no. I'm going to come by I'm anyway. coming. Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> she's not that drunk. She can't be that sick. She didn't have as much as I did last night. It's fine. And she just yeah. hangs up and is like, well, I'm sorry. She seems to be coming over anyways. <laughs> And she is just Um, constantly, like, she is just pure chaos. As soon as she arrives, she walks down the hall and she sees one of the guys and she just starts screaming and running and screaming and running. And she runs out into the backyard and they just ultimately fucking execute her. Yeah, they they gun her down. Uh, Meanwhile, in the other part of the city, some of the thugs have apparently stolen a cop car and that's a thing. (laughs) Yeah, They're just... And they're running around with that. There's one in the cop car. There's the other one who's hijacked a bus and has like a submachine gun is hanging out the side door of the bus, which is a big mistake. Oh, yeah. Th- this is my favorite one. She's hanging out the side door of the bus because uh, Super Cop Lieutenant Sylvester has like climbed onto the roof of it trying to get to her. Great Hugo Stiglitz. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like shooting him and the bus, she just... The bus comes up right beside like this big delivery truck, and she just gets smoked by Ooh, the trailer of the truck. It is brutal. Just the clang and the huge blood splatter on the back of the truck. And then you cut to her on the ground. The shot- so much guts. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I love like the lingering shot <laughs> on the blood stain as the bus yeah. pulls over, comes to a complete stop. Stiglitz comes out. He slowly says, and we're just focused on the blood stain the whole time. He's like, everybody just stay back. I'm going to very slowly make my way over and examine He's like, this. like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. The, gut, the guts look awful, but yeah. it looks hilarious. It looks and it rules. super fake, but it just, there's a ton of like guts. Like they, they got some cow guts and they've just it, put so much on top of her. It looks absurd, <laughs> but it's also like disgusting. And like, it, it's also it's, like, how did that happen? <laughs> 
from what yeah, we saw, like, not a chance. But no, <laughs> who cares though? It's great. Yeah, it, it, like this is the sort of thing in the looseness of a Cardona film that makes it wonderful. Is like you have time to just do something really weird like this. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. So yeah, after the whole thing with the party girl getting killed, uh, Lombard has signed the checks, but he signed them incorrectly. Right. Uh, so the boss is like, hmm, he signed the checks wrong. There must be a reason for it. He signed them with a different oh, well, name, right? Uh, he used a different signature. I, I thought there was like something specific that he did. It was weird. Because uh, it, it was something that gave them an extra signal and they knew to contact someone. But they, they, they slowly... F- that happens later. Yeah, they, they gradually Lisa, put it together. Yeah, because Lisa runs up to the, the bedroom where they've got a gun in the drawer. And shoots the one dude. Right. She gets one of the dudes, and the other guy is his brother, so he is really, yep. really livid. And the guy is he he doesn't die, but he's dying. He yeah, he is dying the whole time. So uh those two guys are actually played by brothers, I think. They yes. got the same last name and they look the same. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they are, yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, so they're like, okay, well, we need to call the doctor, get a doctor over here. So uh the wife calls the dude's boss and is like hi i'd like to speak to dr gonzalez <laughs> right hello doctor i've got a problem here right and then he's like all right i'll play along yeah and, and then he's like okay the boss is like okay well there's definitely a hostage situation over there and i need to call the cops right uh, so they they start pulling together resources and uh, they they still manage to blow it <laughs> sort um, of they do they do blow it but uh and we also get the we cut to the guy who like hijacks an airplane oh yeah and then like the first guy to hijack an airplane the, yeah that's right because <laughs> <laughs> there'll be a couple of these yeah. uh, he he runs away he like flips this part looks like a scene from cops he like flips over the cop car and then there's takes like eight people to hold him down it's pretty fun yeah it's it's also just like again super chaotic they but <laughs> like they've closed in they've gotten everybody the only guys who have yeah. like it, it at this point it's it is only our you're right left. those are the last dudes and they've also retrieved all of the money because everybody had the money on them separately except for these three guys who have none of right it. they are just trying to escape at this point they it's been a total wash total fucking yeah so um so yeah they coordinate uh with the cops and the cops send uh dr gonzalez to the house right and he's like hi yes i'm definitely a real doctor and not a cop doing a terrible acting job <laughs> he he blows it it, it just pisses it down his leg it doesn't go well yeah uh like how he i, I like how he blows it because he phones he says he's gonna phone the hospital but the dude watches him dial, and then as soon as he gets off the phone, the dude dials the number, and it's like, yes, hello, local police station. And it's because he's acting super suspicious. Like, he just does he's not pulling it off. Like, he he is not... No. He, no one buys it that he's a doctor. I mean, he's not even... It, like, the coat doesn't even fit him properly. Yeah, he looks ridiculous. It's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> he's got, like... Let me just hit redial here. Like, uh, main desk of the police force. Like... You called the cops, you fucker. 
<laughs> so he's fucking yeah, dead. Yeah, they, they blow him away, and then it's it's chaos for a minute. Uh, and they're gonna, like... Uh, they, they, they're demanding a plane. Yeah, like, you need to fuel a plane. We're walking out of here with the hostages. We'll let one go, right? I think they're they're willing to uh, let someone go. Or, no, no, they, they don't do let keep anyone all go. Of them. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, they go to the plane. They they shoot one of the maids for right whatever reason, just to show that they're that they mean business. Yeah, they they get to the plane. Uh, the the one guy has died in transit. Right, and the other guy so, is so furious. He wants revenge. Yeah, he wants revenge. So he shoots uh, Mr. Lombard in the leg and then gets headshotted by Stiglitz. Yeah, super cop. Yeah. So it's only the leader of the uh, of the trio who's left and he gets in the plane with the guys and the pilot's like, "Hi, yes, I'm a pilot, a real pilot and not a cop. <laughs> uh, do you want a beer?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, man, I could go for a beer." He's the guy who seemed to be pretty reasonable, but he's like, "All right, yeah, let's do that. Oh, I could I could chill out now. Let's let's start." And they just start circling, but he doesn't know it. Cuz yeah. he doesn't know. And he's like, no no shit about flying, so he doesn't realize yeah. that they're just circling the airport. He doesn't even airport. have a destination. Yeah. He's like, "Well, he's like, okay, well, where do you want me to fly you? I I I don't actually know." Which is perfect for him. He's like, "Just okay, and I'm like, we'll just head south." I'm like, perfect yep yeah. all right great, great great and he slowly starts to pass out from the beer and he realizes it and he shoots the pilot yeah so the only one who's left is the cop who is not a pilot right and it becomes um, an airport disaster movie at the end the it's literally i'm not even joking i timed it 10 it's minutes huge. of sylvester guiding him how to land the plane which is a ripoff of an existing movie the, this was done in one of the airport movies just a couple of years before <laughs> i just think it's ridiculous we've got like the super violent all these car chases uh these violent criminals but our climax is like some lady flying a plane guided by a car. I, I checked out right here I, I just it is it is definitely it took too long for her to land it's it. such a buffer to the end of the film i i totally agree it like knocked it down by like half a star for me uh but just i love just the bold steel like all right let's also have a little bit of an airport disaster bit at the end you know we've done so many genres let's throw one more in why not <laughs> yeah gotta end the movie somehow and also because like that random like let's just throw everything at it does allow for the better moments too so like i i'm willing True. to take the chaos oh yeah no for sure i mean if this movie had structure we wouldn't have got all those exploded cop cars exactly and that shit was fun yeah so um good movie yeah it's <laughs> it's got its issues but it's fun it's fun it's it's classic cardona chaos it's the stuff he does best but uh yeah that that airplane thing <laughs> When I was taking my notes, I just fast forwarded. Well, because nothing just... else happens. It's just all right. Now try this, and she's like, "I can't do it. You can do it. I can't do it." Like, mom, you can <laughs> now do push it. Push the the black lever. I can't do it. Yes, you can. <laughs> like, okay. Now look at the ultimate. I can't do it. Yeah, it goes on. I, I, by and this on. point, I think I could fly an airplane. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, okay. Like, instructions are so detailed. Yeah, uh, but. Otherwise, you know, it's a fun time. It's so crazy. Oh, for sure. 
So our second feature is 1985's Pray for Death, directed by Gordon Hessler, who uh, he, he's like a, a legendary martial arts and uh, exploitation director. He did all sorts of shit. Like he, he was with okay. AIP for years. And, uh, you know, he did all, all sorts of old horror movies. He did uh, The Oblong Box, which is a Vincent Price one. Also Scream and Scream Again with... Uh, Price and Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Oh. Uh, Cry of the Banshee, Murders in the Rue Morgue, all sorts of just goofy shit. Scream Pretty Peggy. I have that one too. It's a Betty Davis TV movie. <laughs> all sorts of stuff. Uh, but this is from his lesser known 80s ninja era. <laughs> <laughs> this one is. I won't say it's as all over the place as uh, uh, Panic Makers, but it kind of feels like it's about 40% children's movie. Yeah, there is like an element and of children's movie and then, yeah, it is super fucking violent and just <laughs> insane. Because like uh, it, it partially is that it is a family movie. It is Shokushugi or Shokasugi <laughs> and his two kids Kane and Shane. They're his kids. They're his real kids. Oh shit. <laughs> Kane Kasugi and Shane gonna... Kasugi. That okay, that <laughs> kind and now I kind of can forgive that the child acting is pretty bad. Yeah, they're just his actual kids. There's yeah, that's fine. Uh that's adorable. And the older one this movie's fucked up. Oh, it's fucking crazy. It's so violent. Uh the, the kid was in like previous, like the older kid was in other ones, and he is still in stuff like he still does uh, a lot of martial arts stuff oh cool cool we have a great opening scene where it's just shokasuki and his kids doing ninja shit against red background with uh this kick-ass 80s back to the shadow good pop songs in this i actually really like these ones in contrast to the shitty ones of mcbain last week this is what i want yeah, that's what you were saying, uh, that this is the soundtrack McBain should have had. Right, yeah, I was saying it there, exactly. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's got the great synths, and then those few pop songs, they rock, they're memorable, they're fun. Mm-hmm. A secret deep inside you <laughs> that has to be concealed. Yeah, it's it, like they're just new wave ballads, which is what you should have. It just... Oh, yeah. it's such a buzzkill with that fucking uh, freedom. Oh man, I I already forgot how it goes. I'm okay with that. <laughs> oh, I I it's still embedded in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I kind of might have uh, tried to forget That's it. Fair. This one though, this one will stay in my head for a bit. Oh, sure, and this one's a lot of fun. So uh, another thing is, this is a movie that is a ninja movie, just a very very different beast from the kung fu movies of the 70s mm-hmm. so so yeah so um what makes it i've only seen like a couple of ninja movies where i've seen a fair number of kung fu movies what makes them different i mean they're you you've seen this one it's clearly not it's I mean, nothing yeah, like yes. a kung fu movie even though it features That's martial true. arts it's just a, it's a yeah. totally different vibe it's more violent for one it's much more elevated it's much more to the action era that the 80s was becoming. The 70s was a lot looser. Uh, There's a fun funkiness to the Kung Fu movie where the ninja movie is the much more streamlined, much more violent, much more crime-oriented kind of thing. Right. 
yeah because our, our bad guys are gangsters here like the mob or a mob yeah it's not there's no rival ninja there there's not really any uh, rival we're not toppling school right there's no other martial artist that he's against it is a ninja lashing back <laughs> oh, okay okay i i wasn't sure like what the difference was i knew that the vibe was obviously different i just couldn't think well yeah i think also of something like miami connection which is also a ninja movie Mm, Where, right you know they, they it's much crazier because it's a musical and they have a band about being ninjas also <laughs> against the or yeah against the, yeah, ninja. against the ninja uh and they <laughs> like again it's just a crazy fucking thing where they get revenge at the end they're just killing a bunch of dudes in a forest with their oh, ninja yeah, skulls right, right. <laughs> and it's drug war which this is related yeah. to drug trafficking as well it's just it doesn't end up being the point that they actually get involved in there's drug trafficking that exists adjacent to the plot yeah it's really about a necklace right but the necklace was encased in a bunch of cocaine (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, so after our opening we open with um you know a ninja action scene right it's It's uh, a stupid fake out because it's just the tv show that the kids watch yeah, although it stars uh, Shokasugi right. and the actress who plays the mom. It stars their parents. <laughs> it is It is actually, like, I, I hate this. I, I hate this pit. Like, I, it, it is fun. I, like, it's fun to see him throw a bunch of throwing stars in people's faces in the opening moments of the movie. It's kind of, it, it's a good action bit, but I hate that it's a fake out about this TV show that they watch that happens to star both of their parents. Even though their dad is like totally sworn off ninja because so, there's a backstory yeah, this... that we don't get for some time. But it, it what makes me mad about it is that And then when we get to the backstory, I think that's a fake out too. Exactly. That is the problem I have. It's like, is this them watching the TV show? And like, oh, I guess that was an actual flashback. We're not seeing them watching this. I guess that was him. And it, it I, I was confused for quite a bit. It really dulls the impact. Of him having this background where he killed someone by accident and is tortured by it. It really takes the, it dulls the edge of it because it's like, what, did this happen in the TV show? Oh, this was actually his story. Oh, I guess that's us. So, so is the TV show his story too? Because it seems on? to be, he, he is the black ninja. Yeah. Like because of the, the fake fake out, I found myself like still entertaining that shadow of doubt that maybe he's not a ninja at all and he is just an ordinary businessman and maybe that was but, the idea to give it some sort of ambiguity but i don't know why it just seems like yeah, a bad idea it yeah yeah because uh, so let's make it clear he is an ordinary businessman who is secretly a ninja but he is not the ninja from the TV show. Right. They just look the same. I would I would clarify, he's not just any ordinary businessman. He is like big up-and-coming businessman who's about to become the head of his company. They're saying like he's oh, right. one of the youngest executives, and they're really hyping up how big his career is. And he just like well, the wife wants to go back to Houston and see her dad's grave. So they give up his career and move there to open a Japanese yes. restaurant, which is why would you like maybe come check the place out first? Cause it was in a real bad neighborhood. You could have maybe been like, eh, we've seen the grave. We can go back to Japan and live a good life. Not, <laughs> not live in a crime infested neighborhood where we're soon going to be murdered. 
Well, it's literally like uh, they're in bed and she's asking him, did you get the promotion? And he's like, yes, but uh, only when the current guy retires. So it's not for another three years. And she's acting like that means he didn't get the promotion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like, well, why don't we why don't we start a new life in America? And he's like, no, it's so violent there. And she's just like, ha, 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 no, That's it's not. not true. And he's like, well, we'll see. Like, all right, uh, you know what? Gonna... You're right. Let's do it. And he he agrees. So I, I want to know, since we're talking about the weird story and the strange <laughs> structure of this movie, this is a movie written by James Booth, who plays the main villain, Willie Limehouse, in the movie. And it's... <laughs> It's fun to know that the main villain is the guy who wrote the movie because it's like, why did he write this role for himself? It's so awful. He's such an evil Uh-oh. man. Yeah, no, when you told me that this guy was the writer, I'm thinking to myself, is he like okay <laughs> for real? Yeah. He might not be. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. I have seen other ones that like I, i've seen him in a bunch of other stuff he's in program to kill which is also fucking weird he's one of the villains i think in zorro the gay blade oh wow okay he's in airport <laughs> 77 which i think is the one that under siege ripped off <laughs> no airport 77 is the bermuda triangle one ah. <laughs> oh. weird series i think maybe it's 79 they, they there's a bunch of airport movies yeah <laughs> uh, so um yeah basically he he goes back to his ninja temple and this is where we think it might be a fake out uh well, because well no he's in the temple it's a and flashback then back. yeah yeah we get this weird flashback to him accidentally killing a dude who was stealing stuff from the temple uh, a red ninja who, who turns out to be his brother Shoji, right? Uh, who was uh, well, trained by the same sensei, and so he's given up ninja. And we have this thing about his sensei telling him, "You need to amend the past. You need to get over it. You need to make peace so you can be a ninja again, and you know, use the power that you have." Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to America. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to start over. Screw you. I'm going to start a Japanese restaurant. And you're like, dude, you're a fucking executive. Like, <laughs> I know. That's the crazy. Like, you are giving up a really cozy life. <laughs> you are life. set up. Uh, I, yeah, it, it feels like a midlife <laughs> crisis, but he's too young to be having I, one. I get you understanding giving up Ninja for this, but giving up this for america <laughs> like what are you doing buddy well yeah and they go to the place and it is shitty they're stepping over passed out drunks and junkies like on the sidewalk outside their new house yes they haven't paid um, the money yet they could still go back they can afford a plane <laughs> ticket <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i know they moved uh, with the all their man. stuff but they can move it back <laughs> It, it, it like it just you could buy the real estate just let it accumulate <laughs> i mean that's what the old man even tells him to do it's yeah. like hey man this is gonna be worth a shitload later on when the skyscrapers come over here they're gonna want this land they're gonna buy it from you that's what you need to do with this and he's right like it, yes. he's totally right and for him it's just it doesn't matter to me because i'm too old for to wait for it I just want to Too get out of this part of town because it sucks. It's Death Wish 3 out here. <laughs> yeah, I, I keep expecting this. I've seen this old guy like 
everywhere. And I keep expecting him to be silly or goofy or he's just so sad he's, and pathetic and his life does not get better through the course of the film. He's so depressing. So the, this guy's played by Parley Bear, uh, 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 who he was he had a circus background. Like he apparently he grew up in the circus. Uh, he was on the Andy oh. Griffith show. Oh, so shit. he's like, you know, he is a classic guy. He was on the original radio version of Green Acres before it was a TV show. It's the kind of wow. kind of career this guy did. <laughs> he was on like tons of radio. He did like Dragnet, uh, Suspense, The Whistler, <laughs> all sorts of shit. <laughs> so tons and tons of TV. He's like a really major TV guy. Like all of the classic TV. He was on like every show you could name. Oh yeah, that's I mean, that's probably why I've seen this guy. Yeah. And why I'm expecting him to act all goofy, which he never ever does. He's so sad. <laughs> uh, my wife used to love this music. Oh, He's so, so depressing. Oh man. My life my wife used to love this empty room. Oh well, can we force the door open and go inside? I guess so. You you bought it. <laughs> And of course, he like just breaks the padlock with his hands, and the kids like, "Dad, that's so cool! That's like the Black Ninja." Oh no, I'm not a ninja. So the I I said the main thing he's known for it. He was the mayor on the Andy Griffith show. Oh okay okay. So that's his his most probably best known role. But yeah, he's oh, he's okay. so sad. It's just he he's. Really, like all the life has been wrung out of him. He's watched the neighborhood that he loved go to shit for yeah. 50 years. And he's like, I need to move out of town. I'm going to sell it at a fire sale price. Like maybe you guys can make something of it. And he's nice. He, he seems like a yeah. sweet man. And he drives off with all his belongings and oh man, it goes bad for him. Yeah. So uh, unbeknownst to the old man, this locked room that uh, his wife used to love has been secretly taken over by Limehouse's gang and used as a stash house. Yeah, they they use it as a place to exchange stuff. They've he, he when they go in, he's like, "Huh, I didn't put that padlock on here." Yeah, well, whatever. Oh well, I'm getting. Yeah, I'm, I'm about Maybe to leave. I, I mean, it doesn't matter. What is? I, I I've never seen this place again in an hour. So he he yeah. drives away, and you know, someone is there to do an exchange in the old cigar store and they old first we see a cop put stuff in there and yep. he he's like hey let's take a look in this package i've never done that before i wonder what's in here and he finds <laughs> this extremely valuable necklace in a brick of cocaine <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna take this necklace and hope nobody notices well, i figure it's because he knows this guy's moving out. Like he sees this guy leaving, he sees the exchange and is like, this is an easy vacuum in which there's lots of people who could be to blame. Yeah. So he just and, like, yeah, let's just pocket this and we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the next day Limehouse comes in. Uh, this is our first meeting with him. Right. Uh, he comes in to get the necklace and it's not there. And he is, Pissed. He is livid. It was the main thing he was there to get. The drugs are just a bonus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They don't even mention the drugs. They don't care about the cocaine. Yeah. It's just extra. The, I mean, it's an extremely valuable necklace. It's like some famous one of a kind necklace that they've heisted yeah, from like somewhere. The, the, 
it's a necklace with a the right it has a name so the van atta necklace yeah yeah it is something very close is it actually the van atta or something i think it is a van yes okay van atta uh yeah van atta so uh first limehouse suspects sam green it's like the the old man is like oh man he buys a necklace sells it all and he's just gonna go off and live like a king huh? which is stupid not if i have anything to see yes it's so there, there's a major flaw in his logic there because <laughs> they he, he was already he'd already <laughs> sold it there's no like these people came yep. from japan he, yeah he, this was well in the making this, by the time this <laughs> this necklace came into sam's orbit there's no chance but they're like eh, let's let's just go torture him anyway yeah, and they, yeah, they, they pull him into this underpass. They, they pull him into an underpass as he's leaving town. Like he's just driving away. They, they grab him and they just immediately like, "Where's the necklace, Sam?" He's like, "I don't know what the fuck you're talking about." I don't, yeah, what necklace? They're like, "I and know you know." <laughs> so Limehouse takes a crowbar and just beats the fuck out he of him. He beats him to death. Uh, like one of the guys. I think he puts a spike through his hand on one end of the car hood, and then he they yeah. got him pulled over the car hood, and Willie just beats him to death. Uh, I think this is one of many things that are censored in the theatrical cut. The extended is. cut is considerably more violent. Well, the uh, especially like, the thing I can tell. The yeah, like I can tell. Um, the difference because of how i guess how the lighting is or how the how the remaster is they didn't remaster the extended stuff so it it looks different it looks like darker I think and grittier yeah of. i think it's just they did not have as good of materials to, yeah. to work with so it, it doesn't look quite as good there's they're not as hd but yeah it's handy though because now i realize that the r-rated version would feel like a children's film yeah they cut out all, even though there's some really intense stuff that happens uh but like especially the thing with the mom later is heavily heavily cut oh yeah um but yeah they fuck so they, they, they he beats him they to death, torch the car and we see the dummy it burning in the driver's seat of the car <laughs> so the, the thing about it is if they they beat him up believing he has the necklace they didn't get the necklace from him right uh, but they torched the car because it'd be eh. too much trouble to search too for much it. trouble to search why did they then expect it somewhere else if they are sure that <laughs> like, it was him that, well because they do make a passing reference like yeah maybe he was telling the truth and also hey whatever let's blow him up anyways and they blow up his car and just torch the thing yeah and this never comes back nobody ever mentions it he's just forgotten they figure he moved yep uh he, well he was driving away with suitcases so, <laughs> yeah. so long sam green you are unmourned uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nobody nobody is looking for you sam i'm sorry like I, I think he was supposed to be moving to another state with his sister or something so maybe she's expecting yeah. him on the other end but obviously yeah. he's never going to show up uh the car oh my god yeah. the explosion of sam's it car is, nuts. is ridiculous there are several car explosions in this movie and they are so over the top it's like well it's like uh how i imagine I, f- I figure every single one of these cars is just full of the leaky nitroglycerin from that movie. You just told yeah, me about. They're, they're all sorcerered out. 
<laughs> they just fucking go up. And I do love the use of dummies in this movie. Uh, every time they light something on fire, there is a dummy burning with it. And I love that. That's great. <sighs> so Limehouse reports to the boss. He's like, uh, you know, I think the cops actually stole the necklace. Yeah, he's like, you know, and- Occam's razor, those guys are already crooked. We we have them on our payroll because they're crooked. It's probably them who the took it. He's like, like, I don't know. Those guys yeah. are kind of valuable to us. I think we should check out those people who just moved in. <laughs> you know, they yeah, they, they had the opportunity. The Maybe they found it. I'm like, all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so he goes after them. Yeah, he first he kidnaps the one kid while the other kid is defending him from bullies. Right. There's already a hellish bully situation. And of course, the we, we've already established in like early shots when they were in Japan in their dojo, even though it's clearly some American mall dojo that they were oh, in, yeah. no question. But because it's also a bunch of white kids in the class with them when they're in Japan. Which, <laughs> they got no, like no. one vaguely brown yeah. kid to be the bully kid. Yeah, and he's also clearly much older than them. Like everybody else is way younger. <laughs> so old. He's like, he's, like he's a full foot taller than any of them. <laughs> But yeah, we, we've established that the little one is not very good yet. He has very little yeah. skill, whereas the older one is quite capable. Yeah, and they both think it would be so cool if their dad would learn karate too, because he might need it someday. Right. They're always talking about ninjas. It's their whole thing, and it must just drive him fucking crazy, because he's because <laughs> he has to pretend he's not. Yeah, he doesn't want to go back to the shadows. No. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there, there. Uh, some bullies try to take his bike when they're at the convenience store, and obviously the little kid goes down instantly. So the brother has to come in, and he's kicking the shit out of all of them, just serving them one way. Yeah. But <laughs> and, and but yeah, uh, uh, White Limehouse shows up and just grabs him. Yeah, just grabs the kid because. <laughs> pulls him into his limo and he fucking doors the other kid right oh, in the yeah, face that's right that that's one of the ones from the unrated cut yeah he gets it and he you see him fall back with a big bloody nose he really hit him yeah oh yeah um and then uh yeah he comes back and he tells the parents and the mom's like honey Call the police. <laughs> Don't do that other thing that you like to Don't do. Ninja Just it. let the cops. He's like, Don't ninja. He's like, oh. I'm gonna ninja. Like I might have to. I'm like, all right, I'll call. I'll talk to the cops later. First, first, ninja. I'm gonna try. Ninja. <laughs> first, we'll, we're gonna try to solve this ourselves. Yeah, because you know, as we're gonna find out. I mean, calling the cops is pointless. Yeah, the cops are useless. Uh, it, it is one of these movies of. It's an 80s crime apocalypse movie. Uh, big thing in the 80s. A lot of American movies just... There's an inner city crime apocalypse everywhere. We're, we're, yeah, well, well, we'll get to it because it's just really... It's really bad. It's it's heightened. Yeah, it's, it's absurd. But, uh, but first uh, he goes after the... Uh, he, he They, the they meet up at the docks, right? At Pier 25 or something. Yeah, yeah, they meet up at the pier. Um, he gets chained up to, or like, they chain him to a light, his, right? Like a hanging light. That's it. Yeah, and Limehouse is like, "All right, guy, where's the necklace?" He's like, 
what fucking necklace? Nobody knows yeah. what you're talking about. I don't about. know about any necklace, but uh, I will take my kid back. I'm, I'm going to take my son back. I don't know what any of this bullshit is. And he, the Limehouse, again, showing that he's completely psychotic. He's going to burn the kid's face off with a torch. Blow torch the fucking kid's face <laughs> after like doing a big deliberate cut down the chest of the guy. Yeah, he, and it, like he realizes he's not going to get anything out of the guy because he doesn't even react to being cut. <laughs> yeah like first he like breaks a board over his uh torso and yeah dude doesn't even flinch he's like, he's like all right hard okay. case well maybe if we torture kid's face and as he as soon as he turns around he just does a ninja flip and he breaks the light he's out of the cuffs and they look back and the kid's gone too <laughs> yeah and he's like and then we just cut to outside the warehouse he's running the, with the kids piggyback yeah. uh being chased by bullets yeah. he, he gets away but of course, they're just going to go after them again. Yeah, and the mom's like, I told you not to ninja. Call the cops. He's like, well, maybe. I'll think about it. I might need to talk to them about something later, but I still think I can probably handle this. Yeah. Um, Limehouse, now that he's met uh, Akira, he says to the boss, he's like, yo, I don't think this Japanese guy knows anything about the necklace either. And also he's dangerous. I really dangerous. think it's the cop. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Also, he's fucking dangerous. And the guy's like, "Yeah, I'm still going to just completely not listen to you and underestimate the situation and tell you to kill the ninja." Uh, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I do like killing. Yeah, he's like, "Well, I mean, I'll kill these people. I I'm fine with that, but I don't think we're going to recover the necklace. <laughs> <laughs> not this way, at least." So he does so go to the police. I think, right? He does go to the cops. Yes, and at this point, he's like saying, "Hey, this is what's going on." The cops like, mm -hmm, uh -huh, uh -huh. "Yeah, sure." And he points. It's like, yeah, he's like, "Well, this is like, the guy. This is the guy." He's like that it's guy's like, Limehouse Willie. He's Limehouse. pretty important. Uh, are you are you actually going to testify against this guy? Because we know he sucks, but nobody will testify him because he's dangerous. You have a family, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, we're going to bring in these two crooked cops who. Uh, who work for Limehouse Willie. Yeah, they, they'll, they're just going to be they'll there. They'll talk. Uh, they'll, you, you could give a statement to them. Uh, and there, there's also the thing where he's like, well, could you give me some protection? And like, well, what are you going to give us in return? Yeah, literally that. Like, <laughs> What have you done for me like, lately? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, I'm like, why don't you arrest this guy? <laughs> well, priorities, man. We got to. He's just an absolute. We got to focus on the cases that we can. Solve. We've had a real run of dog shit cops who are like useless in a way that, like, they're so actively useless. They keep telling people how useless they are. They're actively unwilling <laughs> to do anything. Like, as we said, my hands are tied. Right, as our guy from the wrong guy, who's the most performatively oh. useless cop we've ever seen. <laughs> Uh, or the sheriff from Don't Go Into the Woods, right. which is a more down-to-earth version yeah, of that. Who is very cheerfully not willing to do shit. <laughs> uh, so while he's at the cops, uh, the two children are playing out in the street. No, they're even though he they're not playing in the street. They're kicking a ball around in the apartment, and the ball goes out the window. Oh, right. <laughs> First, they smash a mirror in the apartment, right. and then they just knock over some other it, shit. I, it's really fun. Yeah, I mean, clearly these kids are actually having fun on set, just kicking a soccer ball around. They they smash a window, and it goes out, and the little kid runs out to get it, and the mom runs after the kid, and the fucking the, the bad guys run over the kid and mom. Yeah, straight up. Like, this is 
targeted vehicular manslaughter attempt. They, they, it is a hell of a stunt too. Like they go over the roof. It yeah. is both of them just being hit by this car. And then Akira yeah. arrives immediately after it happens. And he's there as they're being loaded into the ambulance. These stupid guys are like, Hey, let's go around and they take another look. <laughs> let's stare menacingly so that people can kind of suspect they, us. They get to the corner and they lock eyes with Akira and they're like, uh oh. <laughs> He's like, yeah. I'll, I'll catch I'll up. I'll meet you yeah. at the hospital. Meet you at the hospital. And he just hops in a car and goes after them and he takes them out. Again, exploding yep. car, dummies on fire. <laughs> yep, yep. They have like a fist fight in the back of the pickup. And the one guy, he just taps a parked car and the truck explodes. Oh, yeah, he, he, because both of the guys are in the cab of the pickup and he smashes the glass of the back. He pulls one of the dudes through and beats the shit out of him. And then they crash yeah. and it explodes and he just flips out of the back. <laughs> <laughs> and we, yeah, we got the, of course, the burning dummy in the car. It, it rips. I love it. Ah. <laughs> uh. So uh, we have, of course, the sad scene in the hospital where the child is in a coma and the wife is not in a coma, but she is injured. She's got to stay there for a bit. Yeah, she's she's just beat up. And then Akira, he's like, all right, I'm settling this. And <laughs> Willie is having a huge yacht party. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I think it's called a yacht. It seems like a freighter. <laughs> it really does. Uh, like, it's got it's got like a labyrinthine engine room where uh which is great for ninja ambushes. he's killing so many dudes getting to just just to go give the message <laughs> yeah. well at this point he's actually a lot of them are not i don't know if he's killing yeah, a them. lot of them look like they yeah. may some of them definitely are neck breaks though yeah uh, they do the bit where like they're going the thugs are going single file down the corner. So good. And he just <laughs> comes out from the side and one by one just takes the back. It's like Gilligan's Island, you know? They're they're in a line <laughs> and it's just he keeps picking off the one at the end. It's pretty funny. And, and of course the guy stops. He's like, all right, guys, stop. And he turns around and there's nobody there. <laughs> well, there's two guys lying on the floor. <laughs> yeah. <It's> like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, so after basically taking out the entire security team he gets up behind him he takes the power out and he just is behind him with a knife to his neck he's like if you don't leave me alone you will pray for death pray for death i i love just it is a great i like i do love this stand up and applaud when the the title of the movie is stated in the movie this is a good one this is a great one you will pray for death (laughs) And then he just and vanishes. then like Limehouse is yeah Limehouse is like you hear that guy he said I have to leave the family alone or I'll pray for death. <laughs> so like every villain everywhere he takes that as a challenge. Let's see about that and he slashes his own wrist, which is just really he... insane. It's like oh wow yeah. this guy is a heightened villain. <laughs> I feel like you're not going to be able to make someone like this pray for death. And yeah, well, you do. One might argue they do. That, he uh, it happens at the end. He literally is is pleading for death <laughs> by the end. I don't know if he's praying. Well, I, he's literally we'll saying, "Kill me, please, kill me." That is praying for death. I, I guess, yeah. Come on, <laughs> it is yeah. exactly what he told him he would do. But yeah, he, first he decides to escalate because that's the thing a really yeah. fucking crazy villain does. He 
gets into the hospital by slitting his own wrists and he badly he, like like badly enough that they triage him and oh he's very badly hurt like he genuinely does it but he, he he has to actually wait to recover to do his plan he does it across rather than up though so he he does yeah. know uh not to do it the he doesn't do it the fully dangerous way yeah yeah so he waits until later in that night and he until like the meds wear off and he takes out a doctor <laughs> yep takes out a doctor uh dresses up go- as him yep uh tricks his way no he kills the cops in front of the yep, wife's he room. kills a couple more cops and then he gets into the wife's room and in he fucking beats her to death and rapes her and stabs her yeah it's it's nuts because like there's the, the rape part is definitely cut out of the theatrical version and it's, most of the murder because like you don't have the like the stabbing is really oof. gruesome in this just the shot of him because it's like a, an ice again pick and, again. and it's just one yeah. really heavy stab and he comes back and it's just all bloody <laughs> it's like whoa fuck mm-hmm. so it's intense uh oh, very yeah. very intense and then the police realize that something is up when they find that uh yeah he said he was gonna go he goes to the kids thing next and he tells the cops he's like i gotta give the kid a shot right and the kid's like wait a shot or the cops like yeah a shot and no it's like somebody stop the, no they're the the cop who's at the door does not uh realize anything he's like uh yeah go ahead uh, gotta give him a shot sure <laughs> i don't give a shit and then the yeah, other no, guys it's, it's go the yeah the captain is like yeah. uh has anybody been there like oh yeah no just the doctor gave him a shot like he's not scheduled to get any shot like oh shit like go in and they stop him from killing the kid they stop him from the killing the kid but they don't catch him he escapes dressed as a cop and then they're like huh uh uh-oh what about the wife and they go and realize that she has been murdered yep and (laughs) so akira shows up he's like i'm taking my kid home you guys can't protect him I am going to fucking get this guy. Yeah, the cop literally says, he's like, well, if you take him, I can't promise police protection. It's like, what protection? You couldn't promise it in the first place. Yeah. (laughs) Like, all right, well, don't take the law into your own hands. I'm going to take the law into my own hands. Yeah, and here is, again, we get... Please? We get... Back to the shadows! We get the becoming a ninja again montage. Yeah, he's got to do it. Uh, <laughs> but the kid finds out that he's a ninja and he gets his own like building a ninja bike montage. he has his little ninja bike that's cute his he has a lot of guilt he because he, he, he's so guilty about his brother because he felt like he should have been protecting him which it it, it speaks to uh akira's own stuff with his brother who he killed and you know they're they're dealing with their guilt and trauma together mm-hmm. so <laughs> of course limehouse has realized obviously it was the fucking cop so he goes to where the cop is handing over the necklace in a restaurant and he massacres the cop and every single person in a restaurant yeah and then there's like one uh bartender is like please don't kill me and he's like i'm not gonna kill you and then he actually yes i yeah, am and then he machine guns her uh it, it is insane yeah. he just massacres an entire restaurant and yep. he gets back to thing. He's like, yeah, I knew it was the cops all along. <laughs> Told you it wasn't the fucking guy. But I'm still going to kill that guy because fuck that guy. He's he's made an enemy out of me now. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and yet, I love you, like, massacres a restaurant. And meanwhile, the cops are like, eh, arresting Limehouse. It's not really a priority still can't, for us right yeah, now. We still don't really have anything on him. Uh, I mean, there's no witnesses. <laughs> well, uh, true enough. But he did kill two, two cops, but they were crooked. He killed two cops. Well, he also right. killed. He's killed he's a bunch killed of cops. Because, yeah, he killed at least two in the hospital thing as well, right? I think there's and, a couple. Yes, he kills two, at least two in the hospital. Uh, and one thing I know about cops is uh, that's one way to get them off their asses. So I don't understand the nature of this warehouse, which they also seem to have gotten from uh, property baron Sam <laughs> <Yeah>. Green. <laughs> they got so, it's a sawmill. It's a sawmill with a mannequin room. Right. And... So this mannequin room, I, this is completely <laughs> lifted from Stanley Kubrick. This is from Killer's Kiss. This is from okay. his second movie. <laughs> there, there's a whole, <laughs> like the climax of uh, Killer's Kiss is in a mannequin warehouse where they have an axe fight. <laughs> this is, yeah, they compl- uh. it is obviously just stealing it direct from that. But yeah, it's fun. It's a great location. They have a crazy <laughs> fight. Willie versus Akira. It is oh, absurd man. to me that Willie is able to put up this much of a fight <laughs> against the ninja. There's no way. He's like a doughy uh, I mean, fifty-year-old. He's, <laughs> he's got wild card power, though. He is a fucking wild card. I mean, <laughs> if you really embrace the wild card, you get special power. Like, yeah, he's got a chainsaw for a while. Uh, yeah, he's got like an axe. Uh, he just drives this piece of wood into uh, Akira's leg. Right. He gets pretty nasty wound, but ultimately he uh, ends up chained to a log, going into a saw. Uh, like again, <laughs> like a cartoon. Like this is yeah, this is yeah. something that happens like, to Elmer Fudd. <laughs> like pinned through his palms though with right. a, a stabby nunchuck. Oh yeah, it's and the nunchucks he's... with the fucking point at the end. That rules. Yeah, and he's like, "Kill me, kill me, you bastard!" Oh my god, kill. Okay, and he gets. Yeah, I guess that's he gets sawed in half. <laughs> yeah, he gets cut in half real. And bad. it's a hell of a noise that they're like. Ugh! Yeah. Uh, I guess while that fight's going on, the kid has been taking out the rest of the gang with his ninja bike. Yeah, he's um, we've seen a few shots of it. The he gets a bunch of them. They're they're like low level thugs. The kid can take them out. Yeah. <laughs> so they leave. They go to uh, the grave of the wife. I think. Uh, yeah, the grave of the wife, and the cops there is like. Well, you know what the cool thing about gangland killing is? I don't have to do any work. <laughs> yeah, he's really proud of all the all the work he hasn't had to do in this movie. He's he's pretty it game. Just sorted itself out. Like, that's the end of that chapter. So the thing is, I hear there was this ninja. You wouldn't have to know anything about ninjas. Like <laughs> ninjas, that's ninjas are just in TV. That's a. It's like cool, cool. So you wouldn't know who owns this throwing star, would you? Like, no. Nope. <laughs> well, how about you leave if town? You see, <laughs> if you do see that ninja, tell him I don't want him around here anymore. He's like, yeah, yeah, we're we're heading back to Japan. See ya. <laughs> I know. Actually, they're, that's no, right. they're not. They decided to just stick around for some reason. For to honor the wife. Probably. Because yeah. like she wanted like her the the thing is she wanted her, to be in America. She's half American. She's half American. Her dad was a soldier who was stationed in Japan, and he's buried in Houston, which is like 
the first thing they do, they go to visit the grave. But again, yeah. they could have just done a vacation here. They didn't need to move here. He had a I cold bet he career could back still home. Get his old job back. He probably could wait and go go back and get the get the uh, better job back. But yeah, they decide to make a go yeah. of it in America. Yeah. Um, and back uh, well, to the shadows. The end. A secret deep within you. It, it rules. I, I mean, it's a really kick-ass song. I, I just wanted him to say <laughs> when the cop was like, I don't want to see that ninja around. <laughs> I wanted him to say something like, well, or what, you're going to prosecute him like you prosecuted Lighthouse? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, yeah, are you going to bring the full force of the law at me, sir? Do you even have any cops left? Like, it, it, it should just be, uh, again, uh, our uh, the, the dude... Uh, from the wrong guy i want to see him like show up to the graveyard on like a rascal scooter with like a huge piece of uh, cotton candy <laughs> and and like one of those like blue ribbon medals that he made for himself <laughs> yeah. for catching the killer yeah i won uh but yeah a lot of fun i strongly recommend pray for death the it's a lot of fun uh, there there's an era release of it and it has the uncensored version which is essential <laughs> it's a man without that extra violence this movie is generic as fuck i mean it, there's still an amount of it because you still have the the explosions the explosions oh, are you all still in have there. you still have the wife and kid getting yeah it's still run over kind of the wife getting nuts. killed it's just Sam Green blows up. They cut a lot of it down uh, yeah. in in the theatrical cut, and so it's just extended is the better. Extra violence, I think, is what like the Limehouse character and his violence is what elevates this above. Yeah, he is a crazy villain, and I mean, I guess that is on the writer. It it is his character. He wrote the movie <laughs> for himself as the villain, which I love it. Uh, I love it. I love that. That's great. So messed up. It's so good. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's the end of Pray for Death. Uh, do you have any last thoughts on that or the previous film before we head into our first proper stacks pick since like August? Oh my god, it is too, <laughs> isn't it? Well, if you're gonna do a great heist, make sure you plan a great getaway. Otherwise, you will pray for death. <laughs> you will. Uh, all right, we'll see you in part three. And we're back for our third and final section where we're talking about all the other movies we've watched in the past week and choosing what we're going to cover next week. And it'll be our first pick from the regular stacks since August. <laughs> uh, so the first one in months. <laughs> yeah, so, so things have moved around, so we're, we'll have some additions to the stacks also for the first time since August. <laughs> <laughs> so first, right. we have 14 picks. Uh, from last week first next one from the Rene cardona collection set uh, volume two is sos conspiracion bikini this is a Rene cardona jr knockoff of james bond uh okay late 60s uh it's alex dynamo and it's in ecuador it's a speedboat chases and obviously ladies in bikinis and not a lot of a coherent plot. <laughs> oh, from 1967. Yeah, so same year as uh, You Only Live Twice. Oh. <laughs> which is the Bond that we've covered. Yeah. 
So I'm just going to guess what it means. Uh, danger bikini conspiracy? Yeah, basically. Okay. Conspiracy <laughs> bikini. I, I don't really know what it means in the movie either. Uh, it's it's pretty ephemeral. It, it's, it's one of the loosest ones uh, in the set. Uh, much earlier than the other ones. Obviously much less established style. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, next is Off Balance, a.k.a. Phantom of Death. Uh, this is a Ruggiero Deodato film, best known for Cannibal Holocaust. Oh. Uh, this is one of his 80s movies. It's got Michael York, uh, who you would know from... Uh, shit. He, he's in Logan's Run. He's Logan in Logan's oh. Run. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's Michael York and he is a concert pianist. He's a young concert pianist up and coming. He's like a virtuoso. They're very excited for it, but he gets, uh, he gets diagnosed with progeria. Oh, I don't know what that is, but it's, I feel bad for him. You know, the movie Jack with Robin Williams. Oh, that's a real thing. That's progeria. So he's going to... So he's going to rapidly age. I'm going to be honest, it's more like he catches, like he he gets diagnosed with being a slasher. Because he becomes a slasher, (laughs) he slowly turns into a rubber-faced monster. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, right Uh, on, I think. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. Uh, It's it's pretty crazy. It's it's a it's a really deranged. It's it's giallo slasher, kind of on the line. It's it's an '80s one. It's super gory super violent uh it's just he flies into a rage because he's been diagnosed with this and just the injustice of it so he just starts killing everyone he knows uh <laughs> and uh obviously who could be on the case but donald pleasance oh this is the one. Okay, you showed me a clip <laughs> yeah I, I showed you the clip when he phones him and tells him about the murder like he he phones him to taunt him about the murders and he like receives the call and he goes out into the street and he's just screaming at the sky for like a solid five minutes and like you murdering bastard <laughs> i get it you i kill you i kill, I kill you. you oh it is it's good it's good <laughs> I love Donald Pleasance. He's one of my faves. What a what a legend. <laughs> uh, next, we've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original 1991. Oh, man. I remember. Oh, no. Actually, originally, as a kid, mm-hmm. uh, I hated it. Really? Originally. Oh. Because it was too different from the cartoons. The turtles felt consequences, and I never really... Uh, had seen that on tv or movies before i was i was young and sheltered i loved it i think i actually got into the show through the movie i saw the movie in theater and i bought the novelization of the movie oh i bought that too. oh yeah (laughs) i read the shit out of it i watched this movie and yeah it's i think it's what got me into ninja turtles and i always did feel I liked the darker edge of this, just how I like, especially Casey Jones, a huge Casey Jones fan. Mm. <laughs> uh, so the, I will say initially I hated this movie, but as I watched it uh, more and more times throughout the one weekend that I rented it, <laughs> <laughs> it, it began to grow on me. Uh, I haven't seen it since being a kid, but I, I remember. 
it holds yeah. up pretty well. Uh, it's, I, I love the New Yorkiness of it all. It's very grimy eighties, New York. It feels like, mm. it, it feels like they could exist adjacent to Chud. <laughs> right. The, it's yeah. Because like the foot clan is just a grimy eighties, New York clad that well, it's, has the fucking shredder. It's a parody of daredevil. Yeah, that's the, right. it's the hand in Daredevil. <laughs> They're the foot. That's the whole. Man, joke. I, mean, I didn't they're... find that out until just a few years ago. The the joke has always like the the concept is that in the original Eastman Laird comic, there's the scene where Daredevil gets blinded by the radioactive isotope that falls accident. out of the truck, and it drips down the sewage grate and it lands on the turtles, and that's their origin story in the original comic. It kind of gets pulled out in later versions because. Yeah. You can't like Marvel's not, not gonna let you have Daredevil uh cameoing in your Ninja Turtles movie. Uh but you can still kind of hint at it without actually yeah, saying it. It's just there. Uh and of course it's the Foot Clan, which are the hand clan and all of that shit. And yeah, I love the Shredder. The Shredder's awesome. The Shredder costume is great. Uh, oh man, the Shredder scared the shit out of me as a kid. Well, and uh, just <laughs> it's a it's a harsh ending. Like they kill the shredder at the end, which is pretty well, intense. They put him in a well, he, he, Casey he gets Jones. Better. Casey Jones trash compacts him. No, like, Casey oops. Jones commits <laughs> murder. Yeah, Casey Jones murders him. Uh, I love Casey Jones so much. He's my favorite character. It's Elias Kateas, Canadian actor, did a lot of Cronenberg. Uh, this, this movie. Uh, maybe appreciate Raphael more. He became my favorite. Raphael was my favorite of the turtles always. Again, just in in, in keep it, I guess, with the darker choice, the darker edge. <laughs> this is the one I like. It used to be Leonardo. Oh, interesting. The leader. But then the movie made me like Raphael. Yeah, I, I always loved Raphael just because he was the one with the attitude. He was the, he was the <laughs> angsty one. He's very emo in this. Coming back to it, oh, he's man. so emo. I just remember when he gets like, at the very beginning gets humiliated by Casey and he just like freaks <laughs> out. Like, Damn. And, yeah. and our mom was like, the turtles swear I'm going to turn this off. It's like, <laughs> and then she's like, shit, should I turn this off? They're allowed to say, damn, it's the only thing they're allowed to say in this. One. It is. They're well, a little the cartoon, bit they harder. They didn't even do that. Well, of course not. It was a Saturday morning it's, cartoon. Yeah. This is... It blew my fucking eight-year-old or nine-year-old mind. Well, it was a PG movie, I believe. I, I, I do believe you're correct on that, yes. But yeah, I would say it, it holds up pretty well. It's honest. Like, it's so well made. It feels like a canon picture. It's, it's a Golden Harvest, uh, who were a kung fu production studio like they go back to uh the bruce lee stuff they did uh golden needles that crazy joe oh, don shit. baker one we watched oh yeah right yeah no i i remember oh i've always meant to go back to this one and just see if it still holds up because i it's the only one that i think could hold up still well i'm gonna be watching all three of two them two <laughs> and three year Ooh, I, uh, I got the trilogy, so I am going to watch the other two sometime. But uh, the first one, yeah, it holds up pretty well. Uh, well, um, I'm I'm sorry in advance for what you're about to watch, uh, number two. <laughs> so next is Midnight Spares, uh, which is an Australian like a first wave exploitation. Ooh, you know, uh, late seventies, early eighties. I think this is like nineteen. 82 uh 
the Osploitation wave was marked by really fucking crazy stunts, like really dangerous stunts. They did not have the same regulations that they have in the U.S. Oh, I see. So, <laughs> so this they movie, could do some wild shit. This movie, like the last half hour, is just total onslaught of car stunts. Uh, <laughs> someone did die. Uh, the oh, movie no. is dedicated to someone who died during the filming. <laughs> so it, and oh, it was, no. it's a stuntman. So it's like, yeah, it's probably in the movie. Oh, shit. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. There's this dude. He's a race car driver and he comes back to this small town. His father has recently been killed uh, by this criminal gang who heist tons of cars and they have this huge warehouse it's it's not unlike the limehouse woolly situation where like everybody knows but nobody's yeah. gonna go in and go after the guy right because you know he might just uh blow torch your child yeah he just runs everything he's got control over all the races just everybody knows he's dangerous so the kid's going after the guy because he's going to get revenge for his dad. And just obviously he's also doing racing and he starts up a racing. Like he becomes very successful as a race car driver in town, but he's competing against guys who work for the bad guy. And there are further murders. Eventually it is just an assault on the uh, chop shop warehouse. And it is just demolition derby. It's fucking crazy. The, the stunts are unbelievable at the end. Nice, nice. Uh, next is Torment, which is the next one from the Michael J. Murphy box. Ah. This one's really good. This is one of the better ones in the set, I would say. Okay. Uh, it's there. There's this new wave singer, this lady, and she's sent on a country retreat to like work on the album and just kind of cool down she has some mental issues that are never quite clearly alluded to but she's on medication uh and she meets this dude who is a murderer we like we're not supposed to know for sure that he's doing it for a while but i mean there's only one other guy we're meeting it's pretty clearly him right <laughs> So he's he's killing people. He's a slasher and he's also an obsessed fan. And she hires him to do like handiwork around the house. And she ends up sleeping with him and has a relationship with him. And they kind of fall in love. And he makes her go off her meds and he's just killing everyone in her orbit. And the making her go off her meds was just his huge miscalculation because uh, it comes back around on him by the end. Oh, does it turn out that her offer meds is what's needed to take him down? Yeah. Or she, is it some... Well, it's because she... like, it, it, There's a, a whole like last act where he's tied to a chair and she's torturing him to death over a oh. long period of time. Yeah, it's, okay. It's, it's interesting. All right. All right. Next, I finished off the Pyotr Shulkin Apocalypse Tetralogy, uh, Gaga, Glory to the Heroes. This was a lot of fun. I really oh, enjoyed this. Yeah, you said there were jokes. This one's funny. I, I'd say it is as bleak as the other ones, but there's like a glimmer of hope at the end. And it's Ooh. funny. Like, it's it's genuinely much more straight of a comedy. Like, it's a black comedy, but it is a comedy. All right. Well, I, man, I, 
at this point, I think it would be rude to not finish the box set. Right. So, so we, we kind of do need to cover. So it is about yeah. this. Uh, it is a distant future where space exploration is handled by prisoners. Uh, okay. They they grab a prisoner and they put him on like a, a ship that just has a programmed path to land on an alien planet. And he's like, okay, you uh... have this flag. You need to plant the flag. And if you survive for 30 days, you can come, you can get back in the ship and it will take you back. And I'm then, sure people survive the 30 days all the time. Yeah, it probably is is happening all over the place. And oh yeah. Our our guy is put in there and we have this whole hilarious ceremony that he's miserable, that they're like uh, having there's they're saying what a hero he's gonna be. They're gonna send him off into space and he's gonna be a great explorer and uh, all of the other prisoners are just standing there looking miserable and they bring him into the back room and they give him his his helmet and stuff, his his suit. Uh, and they give him this bill and it's like an itemized bill for uh, the going away party, for the cake, <laughs> for the booze, for the suit, uh, for a flag. He's like, well, I didn't get a flag. And someone's like, where's the someone who took the flag and this guy's like well my kid wanted a flag he doesn't really need it what what does it matter he doesn't care like give him the flag the flag is the, the point you're supposed to plant the flag give him the fucking flag and then it's like and well there's a, it also says i'm being charged for an instruction manual it's like then just don't push it okay he does not get the instruction manual <laughs> that he paid for yeah. <laughs> of course <laughs> so he's got all this debt accruing for when he gets back uh, <laughs> Fuck. so they put him on the ship he lands on this planet and this uh, seemingly just human dude in like an 80s eastern european car drives up with a hooker <laughs> underage prostitute in the back seat He's like, hey, it's a hero. I'm so so excited. I it's it's a blessing to uh personally take care of one of you heroes. It's so great to have you guys here. It means a lot to us. Uh-oh. <laughs> Here's this is... <laughs> w- would you like to enjoy this prostitute? I mean, yeah, there's a, you you could you could beat her up if you want. I'd love to see it. It'll be fun. I'm like, okay, dude. <laughs> our our guy is not a violent criminal. He's a political dissident. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So it it's so, it, it please. So so he's probably already got some thoughts about the whole uh scenario he finds himself in before being offered to beat up this underage prostitute. <laughs> yeah, it's already weird. And he gets back <laughs> to the place, and the guy has, oh, you've been given all these gifts, and they're all these weapons, like there's a grenade, here's a bomb, you could put it on a bus, blow up a bunch of people, it'd be very exciting. Uh look good on TV. And he's like, here's a gun, here's some knives. And uh, he, he just, everybody's trying to fleece him. Everybody is really into <laughs> violence. There's this part where he goes with the prostitute afterwards, uh, after getting all these gifts. He, she, they're, they're going to go to this bar, this place that says real food. Uh, and he goes to this guy and he's like, give me four hamburgers. It's like, we don't got those give me four sandwiches and we don't got this like man he, he, the guy just like is at the other side will not come over to him he like like a cat just slowly pushes a glass off the end of the bar to get the guy to come over <laughs> he's like all right what do you want it's like what do you have 
It's like, we've got hot dogs. He's like, all right, I'll get four hot dogs. And the guy serves him a bunch of severed fingers in buns. <laughs> he's like, what the hell is this? And he's like, it's fresh food. I don't understand what the problem is. It turns out to be the guy's own fingers, which we see later. I don't know if these are real people. They seem to be constructs. <laughs> They're okay. super powered as well. The police will like, there's a part where he is framed for a crime because they need him to be guilty of a crime because the point is that these heroes commit a bunch of brutal crimes and then they're televised. And then they, at the end of the 30 days, they impale them up the ass with a giant metal spike on live television. Oh, so it's like you, well, you got to commit a crime so we can be justified in doing it to you. I see. <laughs> and he won't commit a crime like they keep trying to get his it's like i don't want to and like everybody else who could like he's we get a contrast with another guy arrives and he's just the archetype that they're used to and he's just gleefully playing it like westworld <laughs> tommy gunning the, all over the place and he's just like i don't get this man <laughs> Uh, it's great. I loved it. it. Like I would say, they're all really close. Uh, mm. My favorite of the four is uh, War of the Worlds: Next Century. I'd probably put this one number two just because of the comedic edge, but the other three are like practically equal. Just so good. Yeah, like I, I can't really. I, I do have a more clear first, second, and third of the three that I've seen, but they yeah. are very close. Yeah. Uh, next, Beast from Haunted Cave. Uh, this is a Corman-produced uh, noir horror. <laughs> okay. It's directed by Monty Hellman. I think it was his first feature. He kind of goes on to be a really interesting exploitation art house director. He did Tulane Blacktop, which is really cool. Uh, this is a weird one. It's obviously super low budget you know it's a corman production uh and there's there is a beast in a haunted cave but mostly it's just this snowy noir about all these drunk people who are skiing and they have plans to blow up the mine but mostly they're drinking and they're skiing <laughs> and they're hungover so it's pretty quiet and it's really snowy and i love that shit <laughs> that's cool. that totally works for me uh, ultimately, right. it does turn out to be there's this big spider monster. He's all cobwebby and horrible, and he keeps uh, getting people, and he wraps them up in cobwebs, and you know, you find them somewhere there, like kill me. And one of those. It's. Uh, yeah. I guess the interesting thing is that it is from an era when horror was mainly for kids, and it's one that is distinctly for adults. Like it's a noir. It's about adults doing, you know, apres skis and getting hammered and being hung over and not really wanting to do the crime that they're supposed to do. <laughs> uh, I dig it. Uh, next is Ski Troop Attack. This is in the same set. It's an actual Corman one. It's shot in the same place. It's got most of the same cast, uh, but it's a war movie. Oh, uh, one of the same guys from it. He's like the leader of a platoon who are behind enemy lines uh, during World War II. They're like a ski troop and they're, you know, dealing with Nazis. Okay. It's mostly stock footage. Like uh, <laughs> oh. anything with the Nazis is basically like you got a bunch of stock footage of tanks that he had available. And then it's guys running around in the snow. I mean, I'm still into a movie that's almost entirely people running around in the snow. And then there's like 
firefights. You know, they they have gunfights. Mm. There's like, there's nothing else. It's just them being they're behind enemy lines and they just keep running through snow and having gunfights in the snow. I mean, I'm into that. All right. Next, East End Hustle. This is a Canadian exploitation fi- feature. Ooh. Uh, East East Vancouver. Oh, oh. So it is about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is about this uh, this lady, Cindy, and she has decided she's had it with her pimp, who is just brutalizing the shit out of women. He she knows that he's been murdering some of them uh, when they've refused to play play nice or when they've just gotten out of line or you know some issue uh so she decides to strike back against him she's pulling this new there's like a new french canadian immigrant in town that has sort of been forced into it just through not knowing anyone around like not having any support network and not knowing the language well enough so she's like trying to rescue this girl and uh it's it's pretty crazy like it's this was distributed by Troma. It's an early Troma distributed thing. Oh, okay. So it's it's really violent. It's really brutal. Uh, eventually, they do get a pretty satisfying. Uh, the the pimp really gets uh, his in the end, but the the amount of violence he and his gang deal out along the way it doesn't entirely feel. Like I, I wanted more by the like I did want to see more of those dudes get it at least. But uh, yeah, maybe he should have been maybe he should have been chained up to a log on a sawmill. That would have been better. I would have liked him praying for death. <laughs> Next we've got Muerte and La Playa, Death on the Beach. Uh this is a film by Enrique Gomez Vadillo, uh, who was a queer exploitation filmmaker in Mexico. So this is a 1991 feature, kind of later in his uh, in in his career. Pretty obscure film. Like I think it had less than 30 ratings on IMDb when I looked this week. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, and it's very gay. It is a queer slasher film. Uh, there's this dude in the opening scene. We see this guy get sex murdered. Uh, he he gets killed and. Uh, metal rod is inserted into his ass ah that's okay. the that's the opening scene and then we cut to our guy i think it's david let's say david the the teen the troubled teen he's home from boarding school because one of his teachers has been murdered and he's very coddled by his extremely wealthy mother but the new stepfather has beef with him and the mother doesn't realize he's gay. The thing is, every every single other person immediately knows it. He oh, just like of gets off the gayest vibes, and everybody is like, "Well, that guy's gay," uh, but the mom doesn't know it, and she refuses, and she just keeps trying to hook him up with girls, and he keeps murdering them out of frustration. Uh, oh. it, it's, it takes a little while before we're supposed to know for sure that he's the murderer, but he's just murdering all sorts of people. And the stepfather is slowly kind of closing in on just, he's pretty sure he's doing it, but he just wants to cut him out and just get him to go away somewhere so he can just <laughs> be happy with the wife. Because he's he's not a gold digger or anything. He has his own massive fortune. He's just like, I love this woman and I don't want to deal with you, but <laughs> I have to deal with you for her and I'm sick of it. <laughs> it's weird. It's just like, it's it's a 
90s slasher film, but it's like early 90s. So it's got that 80s style to it. And it's super queer. Like it's very male gazy, but towards other men and just like super bright. You know, it's on the beach. It's sunshiny all the time and just bright, peppy synth music all the time. Uh, I did it. Sounds, it was cool. That sounds fun. That sounds fun. I was into it. Next, we've got Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Spock. We know where he is. He died at the end of the second one. Yeah, but oh, but then if? there was the what if the Genesis the coffin was in the Genesis, the Genesis device. So he is yeah, reborn, he be... but he left his soul in bones. What? <laughs> yeah, he, he was like using bones as a USB. Just it, it happens in uh, Wrath of Khan that he like puts his hands on his face and he goes, "Remember." That's how he did it. Now was that? It's in okay, it. So I, no, I remember that. I do remember yeah. that. But when they were making Wrath of Khan, was that the intent for that part? I think so. Yeah. Oh, okay. It, it was okay. like it was provided as a backdoor. There was like, this is how we're going to do it, and we'll just figure something out. I think. Like, I don't know if they had an exact plan on how they're going to do oh. it, but it's like we have this Genesis device. We can have him do something here, and then we can explain it next time. And they did. <laughs> okay, okay. But it's interesting. Spock, he, or Leonard Nimoy, he directed this. So he's barely in the Oh, movie. that's right. Uh, it's, right, it's, and it was Shatner was the next one, right? Yes. No. Okay. No. Uh, oh, no, Nimoy. he was five. Uh, yeah, he is number five. Nimoy does three and four, I believe. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but this one, yeah, he's barely in it because it's, him as like a little boy he's a baby and then he's growing up to be a teen and he has to go through pon far with uh kirstie alley's character kirstie alley herself did not come back so <laughs> it's just someone else playing her it may have been because of the pon far thing where she has to it's it's there they don't show it but obviously there there's a scene where she's supposed to uh be sleeping with a young teenage boy and there's just like a moment at the end where Spock is going down the line of everybody who was involved in the movie and the two of them share a look and they both look really embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh-huh, yeah, uh, all right, no, no comment. And he moves on to the next person. <laughs> I like this one a lot. I think it's pretty underrated. It's a lot of fun. I don't much care for the stuff with uh, Kirk's son, who's just, boring uh oh yeah i, I don't son. He, he doesn't for long i really like christopher <laughs> lloyd uh christopher right. lloyd is a klingon and he has a klingon dog and he's <laughs> doing just the most christopher lloyd stuff he's really fun yelling as a klingon <laughs> um uh, yeah you know it's a good time i like it all right mm, um please yeah i i, I mean I did love the second one, and I liked the first one more than most people did. Even yeah. if I didn't like love, love it, it was good. Yeah. Uh, next, we've got Joy. I sent you uh, images of the the sleeve for this when I got it. the The two sides of the slipcover. It's it's a, the front cover is a bunch of ladies on a police lineup. It says, "Meet the rapists." Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I remember now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's crazy um 
so joy 1977 this is a porno uh it <laughs> it's it's one of the more movie like pornos i've seen like it obviously has a lot of sex scenes that are full and graphic but they're all pretty plot driven okay okay so it starts with this girl who's in her apartment or it's like she we've established her as this virgin who does not want to uh go all the way with her uh i think he's a basketball star boyfriend i don't know she's a teenager like she's in high school and right right so then there's a scene where she's in her apartment and like two dudes bust in and she is raped but the thing is she really likes it so okay it's okay not starting in a great space but it is it's it it is a very absurdist movie uh, and so she gets really into it and the guy gets scared and they take off. <laughs> and then she's like, I want more. So she goes to her <laughs> boyfriend and she like gives him a blowjob in the shower. And he's just absolutely astonished that this is happening. And then, you know, he finishes and goes off and she's like, well, now what are you good for? And she just leaves and just find another guy. <laughs> And she just becomes the female rapist around town. Uh, there's there's a really funny scene where this dude is talking about all his marital problems to his buddy after work. And then he's walking home alone at night. <laughs> 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 and, and you just have her following and he's hearing the footsteps and he's getting spooked. And it's, you know, it's it's one of those sort of scenes. It's just really funny to see it gender flipped. He he ducks down an alley and he's hiding and he's scared and she starts stalking down the alleyway. And then, of course, he realizes that it's hot, a hot, horny teenager and they just have sex in a gross alleyway. <laughs> uh, okay. I, one of the hallmarks of it is like all of the porn scenes, all of the actual sex scenes take place in just awful surroundings. They're all so gross. There's you know an alley, there's public restrooms, there's the floor of a subway train. Uh, it's grody but it was actually funny like it it was one that the comedy landed it was it was pretty amusing Hmm. all right uh also she's being investigated by lieutenant handcock and every time we go to his office he's (laughs) furiously masturbating to the newspaper reports He, he he gets a squad of guys and he's going to like choose he, and he gets them all to take their pants down. Like, these are your weapons. And like, you're going to go out and get her. Uh, <laughs> bizarre. Really, really strange. Uh, all right. <laughs> Next is the last match. Uh, <laughs> well, this is fucking crazy. It's I mean, it would be great if it were half an hour long or 45 minutes long, because the first hour practically nothing takes place oh no (laughs) one of those (laughs) uh it's this guy he's a football star like pro football they're they're basically the miami dolphins but obviously they did not have any nfl uh licensing so it's just yeah (laughs) they're pro football team from miami uh and this the their star's daughter is on a Caribbean island. It's shot in the Dominican Republic, and it's clearly supposed to be the Dominican Republic. But unlike McBain, they're not like, this is the evils of the Dominican Republic. <laughs> <laughs> so she gets framed as a drug smuggler and put into prison. So her dad comes, and he's trying to get her out. And he talks to the consulate, and he talks to a lawyer, and they're all, like, 
cool character actors that you recognize. You got like Martin Balsam, you got uh, Charles Napier, all sorts of cool dudes. Board cool. Nine is the coach. Nice. <laughs> so, you know, after a while, he realizes he cannot get this girl out. They're going to keep her in this prison. And it's a really brutal pl- prison. It's run by Henry Silva. Uh, you know him. He's the alligator hunter in Alligator. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've seen him in a bunch of stuff. There's this really oh, yeah. great Italian crime film where uh, he runs over a couple dudes with a steamroller. Fucking rolls. I think it's Johnny Cool. Nice. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they the football team shows up in the Dominican Republic in full uniform. They're, they're, the whole <laughs> team. And they're like, all right, we've got a whole bunch of assault weapons. We're going to take over the prison. <laughs> this football team, we're going to assault the prison. And that's what they do. Uh, the last half hour is just a bunch of dudes in football uniforms with automatic weapons and grenades assaulting and taking over a prison <laughs> in like, you know, the Dominican Republic, breaking someone that out. That sounds fun. The last half hour is awesome. It's just, it's a slog getting there. <laughs> i see all right (laughs) bit of a slow slow burn uh similar to the next feature the dark power although i i must admit i have a lot of affection for this one (laughs) uh it is another lash larue picture from the 80s (laughs) so my complaint last time was it, it was the subsequent film by the same director and i complained last time that there was no whipping like we have lash larue facing off against these shotgun or these six gun aliens. How does he never pull out a whip? Not once. Well, he's got a whip in this one. He just, oh, there's, every time he does anything, there's whipping and whipping and whipping and whipping. And it's great. Uh, I feel like he said his final word on the topic because at the end, he has a climactic whip off with an ancient Toltec immortal sorcerer. Nice. <laughs> so, and he, he like whips heads off monsters and shit and <laughs> it's a real slow bird it's sort of a slasher hmm. movie uh it's about an ancient toltec curse so you know natives before the natives right 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 way 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 back and back you have when it was aliens yeah aliens so there <laughs> there's this thing about uh there is a like a native shaman who dies of old age and they disturb a sacred circle uh, as they're dealing with the estate. And a bunch of people are moving into the house because it's going to become an apartment building for a bunch of people. Or sort of a flop house, I guess. Right. And these girls have moved in. Uh, and they're sort of our protagonists. There's also a reporter who's following the story. Story. I mean, I don't know. that Because this guy died and they there's some folklore stuff that they're reading about. But it turns out one of the girls who lives in the house is just this awful fucking racist bitch. And she brings her shitty misogynist brother to live there. And then he brings all his doofy party bro friends to hang out. So then we've got a bunch of dead meats ready and the Toltec curse arrives and just start massacring people. (laughs) It takes a real long time for it to start happening, but the last... 30 minutes are really fun. I laughed a lot. I just, they have the shittiest costumes. They look ridiculous. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's very lo-fi. There is one 
insanely extreme moment of gore where someone's face just gets completely pulled in half and it's so out of nowhere it is some dude who doesn't even have a name <laughs> <laughs> nice uh but yeah i mean it's not great but i laughed a lot awesome. so those are our 14 picks uh what do you figure for our second features next week i mean i'm sure we're gonna do gaga we we are we are gonna do gaga um that it was pretty much a given yeah uh, at this point but i i want to i don't know what i want to put with it though there's Uh, some interesting stuff yeah like i do want to watch ninja turtles again but do i want to cover ninja turtles i don't know if i do or not i mean Um, like it'll be around it'll be available that's true that's true i mean there's also Star Trek 3, but you know what I do think it's going to be? Wow. Uh, I think it's been long enough now. I think it was probably like six months or more. Uh, let's dive back into the world of Michael J. Murphy. You're going to do Torment. All right. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, next week we'll be doing uh, Gaga, Glory to the Heroes, and Torment for our secondary features. Cool. So in the main stacks, we have some additions because we haven't been here for <laughs> months. Months. Uh, so we got about 10 additions that I'm going to go over. Three months. So first up, another 48 hours. Obviously, the sequel to 48 hours. It's four years later. Uh, our guy's finally going to get out of jail proper. You know, his, his sentence has run out, but... There's a criminal who has set a hit for him as soon as he gets out. So he and Nick Nolte have to get together again and go back against the bad guys again. I remember it not being as good. (laughs) But still, you know, pretty good. Uh, Next, Flaming Ears. This is an Australian... No, Austrian. Austrian uh, queer cyberpunk film from the 80s. My understanding is it's pretty chaotic and doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's about this uh, lady who... uh, it's, It's like 700 years in the future, and she... Uh, she's a comic book artist and someone burns down her printing press and she's trying to get revenge and then aliens show up and Hmm. (laughs) you know very strange and chaotic a lot of different styles of filmmaking it's got like stop motion and uh art stuff should be interesting cool cool next is one we've kind of already talked about vital this is uh the next one the sukamoto set uh, uh, right about this dude who he's in a car accident he wakes up with amnesia but he's a medical student and he's to operate on this corpse but it's the corpse of the girlfriend who died in the accident and it becomes this whole obsession uh looks pretty messed up i figure we'll also do haze which is a short film that's like 20 minutes that is on the same desk okay cool next some guy who kills people uh we watch a lot of movies about some guy who kills people pretty basic title it is this dude he is uh let out of a mental institution and he was heavily bullied as a kid and he just uh he's trying to put his life back together after getting out of a mental institution but the bullies are still in the small town he lives in and he starts murdering them (laughs) all right kind of satirical it i mean yeah. From the title, I could imagine. Yeah. 
Next, Killer Nerd. Uh, did you ever see American Splendor? I don't think so. A uh, really great movie about Harvey P. Carr, who is an alternative underground comics artist. Uh, Toby Radloff was this dude who he worked with, and he had him in his comics. And he was this dude who was a nerd, who really heavily identified with the concept of the nerd. And like when Revenge of the Nerds came out, it was like he felt so seen. It was the greatest thing. <laughs> Uh, and he became like an early MTV personality. He's like, I'm Toby Redlove, authentic nerd. Uh, <laughs> and he, like, it was not a bit. Like, it's just, this is who this dude was. So <laughs> this is a an SOV slasher film where he is the killer nerd. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it's the same plot as some guy who kills people. <laughs> Yeah, you have to kill the bullies, right? He's, he's got these bullies, and he's clapping back against them. <laughs> uh, next, we've got Atlantis, which is the next one in the Michael J. Murphy box. It's about Ooh. Atlantis, you know, the lost continent. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this... Uh, uh, some huge fucking gigantic crazy fantasy bullshit. I, I assume it's a remake of the thing he made in like high school that there's just fragments of in the first desk okay he does remake the same movies a few times doesn't he there's a few tristans there's some atlantai <laughs> yeah uh, next la casa que arde de noche or the house that burns at night uh this is the last one in the cardona set uh, okay my understanding is it kind of a showgirls kind of plot uh, where there's mm-hmm. the competing prostitutes in a brothel and there's this dude who's hanging out there uh, there, there's like a rivalry between them, and just my industry just really super sleazy, very fucking elevated and crazy, in in sort of the vein of Showgirls, where it's super elevated and campy. Cool. Uh, I hear it's pretty fun. All right. N- next is Robot Jocks. You ever heard of Robot Jocks? I have not heard of Robot Jocks. This is another Empire Pictures thing. It is uh, mech battles. You know, oh. they're robot jockeys. They're these dudes who fight in mech suits. It's a future where war is just fought out by mech suits. So if there's a dispute between countries, they get a couple guys and they get their best dudes into their mech suits and they have a battle and they, they fight it out. So uh, it's the plot of every mech-based video game. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the thing is, they are doing this battle and something goes wrong and one of the mechs falls on the audience and a whole bunch of fucking people get killed. Oh, that is probably really bad for <laughs> wartime PR. It's really bad. So uh, uh, mostly it's about the interpolitics of this future world. It's very satirical. Uh, the mech fights, there's two of them. There's one at the start and there's one at the end. So it's pretty low budget, you know? (laughs) See, I want my mech movies to have more than two mech fights. It is usually the biggest complaint about the movie. And yeah, it it is unfortunate. There's just the two. But I would say that the future dystopia that they have is really interesting. It's fun. It is is comedic. Like, it's, it's a pretty loose, silly 80s version. Okay. Next, we've got Phantom Kung Fu. Uh, this looks pretty goofy. Uh, it's it's this. It's mostly following the bad guy. 
but the the hero keeps coming at him and getting killed and then coming back after him uh and then he gets killed again and he just keeps returning from the <laughs> dead to go after him the guys just getting really fed up with it <laughs> okay i love that idea <laughs> yeah that sounds like a lot of fun uh next is the believer's heaven which is the third estes perkle collaboration with ron ormond Oh, Estes Perkle. <laughs> this is Estes Perkle telling what he thinks heaven's going to be like and how the rewards are going to be. Oh my god, I <laughs> I want to know what he thinks is good. Oh uh, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of stoked for that one to be honest. Oh man, I, I'm <laughs> I don't need to hear his hell shit anymore, but man, I want to hear this. <laughs> I want to know. Mhm. And uh, in heaven, women will be silent the whole time. <laughs> I mean, I suspect there's going to be some stuff that raises your hairs. <laughs> I bet. Uh, next, we've got Atma, which is the next one in the Bollywood horror set. Uh, this one's from 2006. Oh. So very, very recent one. By far the most recent in the set. The uh, same kind of plot, I guess. A whole lot of plot. <laughs> uh there's a doctor preparing to celebrate his wedding anniversary then someone shows up and there's going to be an tells him there's going to be this autopsy they perform and a whole bunch of scary shit's going to happen after that uh and then he has to do this dissection and then i think they get haunted <laughs> also mean... obviously there's a romance and there's the new wife and i think yeah. the wife is haunted maybe Ooh, okay. Probably the wife is possessed from beyond the graves is what I would expect. Sure. I mean, these things usually cram a bunch of things in. So why let's let's have them all be haunted. Yeah. So this one's a, a much more modern one. This is. Yeah, I, I, I guess it will be much more a modern style as well. Yeah. Uh, so to be 20 years later than the one that we saw. Uh, yeah. Which I don't know. I feel like my, my main concern is that it's probably not going to have as rad of a synth score but we'll see yeah hard to say hard to say because that was my favorite thing about them and i like i enjoy <laughs> all of them a lot but mm, those synthesizers uh and last edition is black emmanuel 2 because i watched the first one uh during halloween or just the week after halloween i don't know uh number two doesn't have the same lead actress hmm. she's playing the same character i guess which is just some other lady Okay. Uh, she's not globe trotting. She's not really doing any reporting. She's just in a psychiatrist's office, and they're going over her trauma. So it's a please don't touch me, but Black Emmanuel style. Okay, All a right. lot of flashbacks to sex, probably, uh, and trauma, probably a bunch of rape, yeah, to be expected in the Black Emmanuel series. I think. Sure, totally. <laughs> so, what's going to be our first pick from the main stacks uh, since we've been back? Uh, well, you know what? You know what I'm thinking? Uh, we haven't done a kaiju in forever. That's true. Uh, we got a few options on here, I think. We do. And there's one that I haven't seen anything from this series, and that one is Rodan. And it's also right near the top, too, so we'll be, mm -hmm. we'll be knocking off uh, uh, one that's been on there for a while. Yeah, so Rodan, he is, well, the, in in terms of a series, he has this one movie, and then he appears in the Godzilla ser series after oh, that. Oh, okay, so. He's an early Godzilla antagonist, but he had his own movie first. Oh, okay, okay. 
So this was kind of no like Rodan series. No, he has no subsequent films of his own. He just shows up in the Godzilla series, I think a few times. Uh, But it's it is a Shiro Honda who does a bunch of those movies. Uh, And it's kind of the same plot as Reign of Fire. You familiar with Reign of Fire? Um, Is that the one? There's dragons, right? Yeah, Matthew McConaughey dragons. Oh fuck! I uh, I I tried to watch that. It was boring. It's it's so so. It's got its points, uh, but the, you know it's, they find they they're doing some mining and they uncover a dragon monster that flies and it lays waste. Obviously, the flying <laughs> dangerous prehistoric monster. Uh, of course, in Rain of Fire, they there's like thousands of them and they take over the planet. Yeah. Uh, it becomes a post-apocalyptic movie. Weird, not great. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, no, I, I not that long ago I tried to watch it and I fell asleep. That's totally fair. Uh, <laughs> I sympathize. I've seen it at least two or three times, and I've never been able to keep full attention through it. <laughs> let's say. Uh, but Rodan is fun. So from 1956, same year as uh, first Godzilla. So it's Ooh. like they're. They're starting out, so it's, it's he's a parallel. Uh, I wonder how you. similar and different the tone is going to be. I recall it being lighter. It, it definitely does not have the gravitas uh, of Godzilla. I mean, that's tough, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so next week we will be covering Rodan, uh, the flying monster Rodan. Uh, as well as Gaga, Glory to the Heroes, and uh, shit, what was the other one? <laughs> uh, the, oh god, the Michael J. Murphy one. What was it? Torment? Torment. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, next week. Uh, <laughs> uh, next week, Rodan, the Flying Monster, uh, Gaga, Glory to the Heroes, and Michael J. Murphy's Torment should be good time. Uh, so, any last thoughts before we close for this week? Uh, nope. Until next week, I will go back to the shadows. Back to the shadows. Yeah. Uh, see you next week. <laughs>